That wizard came from the moon. Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, it's stinking hot, and we're growing weed and learning to smoke together apart. Next-gen consoles had some leaks, and the world takes to the skies in the newest flight simulator, which may or may not feature you naked in your backyard. Mortal Kombat, the movie, was a thing and will be a thing again, and so is our RPG heartwarming favorite, Baldur's Gate 3. Finally, we take another look-see at Assassin's Creed. We'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that, because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one, the only, he's a Russian bot, Dank Dan. Andy, did you know that a random pile of hay can be perfect camouflage in any season? <laughs> I did learn that at Metal Gear Solid. I think that that's where I learned that, Dan, as well as a cardboard box. Perfect yeah. camouflage. It's absolutely perfect. I've tried this out. I've tried to dive into piles of hay every time I'm stopped headfirst around the belt line, just two legs waggling out. <laughs> it's it's never been effective. And your face, a fresh mess of cow pasture. Yeah, no, that's understood. Hey, Dan, how you doing? You know, like many things, it's itchier than you might expect. <laughs> Is that how you're doing? That's how I'm doing, man. You're feeling the itch, feeling the burn. Did you go to a farm today or what happened? I, I haven't been pharmacologically aligned in a little bit. However, I did so pick wait, up- So you went to a farm yes. and you needed to hide. Yes. From who? Well, the farmer, right? Was there infidelity involved? Not usually. You can come out of your cardboard box to me, Dan. This is a safe space. <laughs> the, I, you never <laughs> noticed that when jokes were still a thing, the farmer's daughter was like a mainstay. If you're one of our younger listeners, people used to tell like jokes, like set jokes with a setup. It would be like, so there's this farmer with just beautiful daughters and somebody's broken down by the side of the road and trying to stay for the night. Like jokes started like that. They don't exist anymore. They're like, not yeah, a thing. We're, we're better than that now, Dan. I, you we're, know we're way better than that now. We probably talked about this on the cast, but what killed okay, them- Okay, we're slightly better than that now. Slightly better, or worse in a different way. What, what happened is the forwarded email joke became a thing, and all the boomers of that era suddenly could tell their jokes to everyone at once. So for about 18 months, these forwarded jokes went all over the internet until as a society, together- we said uh, uh, enough. Uh, I remember those days. And I was young enough to understand that this was lame, man. This was lame. This is like, uh, you know, the era of chain letters. You remember yes. chain letters? Do chain letters still exist? I haven't received one in like 20 years. It's been years, a while. But I feel like they're still a thing. So this is something that also used to exist, boys and girls. You would get a letter in the mail, an actual honest to God snail mail letter. And it would invariably talk about that this letter has been 
through all these people it listed from like uh you know Habsburg to England to to Rwanda and now it's at you and if you were to break the cycle of this chain letter not only would you be throwing that lineage away but you'd be bringing a curse on you and and yours that was a real thing. I, I get it. It's really, uh, it's got to be the letter because it's very expensive to ship a monkey's paw. Yeah, they don't love that. Shipping's DHL has got a big rate on that one. I got to go back to the the joke telling thing, like the classic setup joke. That was that era's Pokemon. And let me get a little closer Come to on. it. Let me get a Come little, on. Let me get a little closer to it because no one had all the jokes. You know, G- your Uncle Jimmy had 10 solid ones. Once you heard them, they were in your Jokadex. And then you had them, t- <laughs> when you rolled them out, there was nowhere else to get these jokes. There, there was no internet. You had to talk. But you just broke the dad barrier. Oh, uh, no. Pre- this is- pre-parental persuasion. You just straight into dad territory. Right in your Jokadex. I'm, this is more of like a, 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 this is a, I'm a dad historian. I'm a dad historian here. I and, see. And I so see. That You're an appreciator the, of the arts. They would, they would c- come together and trade their most choice jokes and that was like this rich currency and then the forwards happened and that bubble burst boom straight straight to zero it's weird how jokes have just turned into memes now like no one shares jokes anymore we just share memes it's become completely visual yeah you can get that joke out in as long as it takes you to recognize the image and then the goof and then the reference from it but even now it's got too deep like the meme is a meme on a meme that's got a third twist. And if you're not all the way up to date on your meme twisting, you're just like, what's happened here? That's it, man. Memes now have like a context that's been layered many times and it requires you to know that context or else you're going to not get the meme. And what's really interesting about memes is it's like, you know, previously with jokes, you had to have delivery. But with memes, everybody's got delivery because you just got to hit send. So now everybody's funny. But are they? But are they really? No. Like, if you stepped off at good guy Greg, and then you say, you know, you did your, you preached the word of the Lord through Central Africa, came back to today's meme, you're lost. There's, there's no context. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid. For our listeners who haven't tuned into this smoking hot wreck before, this is indeed a podcast about, what is it about again, Dan? Remind me. That's the the weed and the video games, my friend. Weed and video games. Weed and video games, we salute you. And indeed, we're here to talk about weed and video games, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about everything else before we even get there. Um, How you been, Dan? It's been a few moments here. I know summer is usually a pretty busy time for everybody. I'm good. Um, I mean, I guess a little less so these days. Sure, but, it's a tough time for everybody. Yeah. Um, no bummers. No bummers. I uh, I recently bought an entire half of a cow, uh, so I have this yep. freezer chock a block full of fresh chuck. How much of a cow do you need to buy before you're required to name it? Oh boy, I think you could name just one beef bullion square, like something you're going to turn into beef broth. You're <laughs> you're a piece of little. You're little Freddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's awesome, man. I've always wanted to get the you know the the side of beef farmers market kicks off in May. Ragweed is in the air, and uh, you know you're ready to pollen pollen at that time of year. I'm, I've got allergens on the brain because I can barely breathe out of one and a half nostrils, mm. but. Um, Regardless, you know, something's in the air that makes you want to grill for the next 15 months. And I think buying a cow would be the perfect way to kickstart that because I lose my 
barbecuing hutzpa by like mid July. Really? You know? Yeah, I pull out. You know, I pull out the grill in May, and I'm stoked. Usually start off with a tomahawk steak. Sure. Get started there. Then we move into you know a, a lovingly produced series of burgers. Then it's frozen burgers. Then it's frozen burgers and sausages. Then it's sausages without the bun. And then pretty soon we're just not grilling anymore. You retired it early. You, you've tuckered yourself out on the queue. Yeah. You know, what can I say? I get started hot and the flame just dwindles after a while. But um, in general, that's pretty much all I've been doing this summer is flipping burgers and I mean, working like a dog and an animal at the same time. Uh, some kind of dog animal. What would that even some look like? Some kind of animal dog. Right. Some amalgamation of dogs and animals. Speaking about dog animals, here's what I loved about these cows that I saw in this pasture. They look like happy cows. And oh. right right up to the moment that the farmer bolts them with that bolting gun, like the one from No Country from Old Men, Four Old Men, they're happy. And I, I, I like Listen, that. Listen, every animal, every animal on a farm like that deserves to only have one bad day. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. So... <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's true, right? You know, we buy a lot of our meat locally, and we're fortunate enough to live like outside of the major cities, so we can we can source it from a number of uh, characterful farmers out this way. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, and by the way, they all smoke weed, every one of them. Really, every single. It's really funny, you know, because used to be, and I grew up in a small town. Used to be like, you know, weed was the devil. And, you know, you never had anyone's parents really who would, uh, who would, you know, spark up a joint or anything like that. It was very much taboo growing up around here. A lot of, you know, fervent religious folks. Well, you know, you grew up here. Unless you had a cool dad. Cool dad. Well, not too many people had cool dads, to be fair. But now, like, apparently all of those, and again, let's stress, these are boomers. Like, sure. We're talking about farmers, many of them in their 50s, 60s, maybe even beyond. And like suddenly they're all down with weed. And they've been not just now, they've been smoking this shit for like 30 years. You know, like, oh yeah, we've been smoking joints forever. It's the only way I get, you know, through my cataracts or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, man, we could have had so much more fun like 20 years ago. You know, we could have just had a much more open and honest time in this society. But instead, you made me smoke weed behind Wendy's. And I felt bad about it. You know, it, it is both a traumatizing thing, how uh, in fear of the law you were but also i think we smoked more weed and it had that that beautiful forbidden fruit like Mm. it it's like as soon as once like uh, weed has permeated the culture where your grandmother's like oh you have a headache honey uh have some this indica it's gone the sexiness (laughs) is gone Sweetheart, I have orange cookies in the cabinet. We'll get you fixed up. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I love that. That's you know, I really look forward to that day, and I feel that it's it's pretty much here. It's arrived far quicker than any of us expected. Um, and it's really funny to actually watch. Not even the book, because the boomers have already been smoking weed. I don't know forever, pretty much. But it's 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 just what's the Gen Gen X? What's the one right before? Born in like the late seventies, mid seventies, late seventies. Yeah, I think Gen X sounds right. Yeah, like or maybe like early seventies, whatever it is. It's that group of people, like the the ones that moved into the suburbs. They've got grown up kids now, and they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with themselves. Those are the actual only kind of curious people I've met. Because in the dispensaries up here in Canada, you got like twenty to thirty five year olds, and you got boomers, and everyone else is still trying to figure it out. Yes, yeah. they moved to the suburbs, and they spent a long time building a really perfect life, and now their kids are gone, and they just want to get high, man. And God bless them. They deserve it. 
they deserve it. They deserve it. I procured a, uh, I procured a bottle of THC capsules for a close relative who wanted to get groovy. And, uh, pretty soon I was, you know, forking over jujus and, and, and five, 10 tanks and joints and, you know, everyone's having a good time. It's all about cognitive dissonance with that generation. They're like, can I just eat something that's a pill? Cause I'm very comfortable taking pills and then they'll slowly <laughs> e- escalate, but they just, they can't bring themselves to start with just the fat cannon. It's right. like, no, we now can't. I'm now mm. I'm smoking weed like a cheech or a chong. <laughs> yeah, man, that's 100% the case. And it's so funny because like 2018, well, 2016, I got involved in this industry. And, um, you know, the, the, the level of humor that was required to get through a conversation with these very same people was so high. And now we're talking about, you know, the cannabis industry and stocks and companies, and it's all a real thing. But, you know, I can recall in 2016 having to literally like laugh my way through describing how I'm feeding my family. <laughs> you know it's, uh, and, now, and now I'm procuring joints for these people. So it's a beautiful piece of uh, beautiful piece of history. So I love the early play, which is you don't you can't tell your Aunt Gemma that you're selling bongs because it's an inherently sell- silly word. It sounds like something perhaps a clown person would sell. Would you like a bong? <laughs> or would you like one of my blings? Or would you like a powie wowie? So you went with what I love. Oh, I sell premium glass, which makes it sound like maybe you're a window installer, That's you know, it. maybe a double paned weatherproof type of slick rig thing. Correct. Mm-hmm. Premium glass, it moved into accessories after a while because uh-huh. accessories is anything. Now, every time I say accessories, it's great because they assume I'm a retail salesperson and I'm I'm hawking bags. Right. You know? And somehow at that moment in time, like, yeah, you know, these these folks were conjuring up images of me sitting on a street corner outside of the Sky Dome or Rogers Center, <laughs> you know, hawking hawking fake Louis Vuittons. And somehow right. that had more prestige in their mind. That was more reconcilable in their mind than selling bongs. But and now the <laughs> so. industry's publicly traded. So you can you can nuke anyone. Oh, oh, S&P 500. Yeah, we're in there. (laughs) Yeah, we're a pubco listed on the Canadian stock. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny it's a funny, you know, um, uh, turn of fate. And it's an interesting place to live. And, you know, I'm just overall stoked about it because, you know, I'm growing weed now, Dan. I've never, never grown cannabis in my life. And I got to be honest, I was a legalization chicken. I was the guy working in the industry up until legalization who still got nervous going outside and smoking a joint, you know, so because of the dark times, the dark times, my man, it's true, man. It's true. You know, I've, 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 I've hustled away from a number of, you know, uh, sirens now, allegedly, allegedly real or imagined. I have no idea (laughs) because. We were smoking Lord knows what back in the day, <laughs> whether it was a dank indica or a, or a, you know, God's green crack. I have no idea, but a lot of the time I was paranoid. Anyway, um, where was I going with this? Oh, stoner moment. <laughs> you were a chicken on legalization, Big Papa. Yes, I was. A, that's it. I was a chicken on legalization. And so I never would have had the audacity to grow cannabis in my own backyard for fear of, I don't know, ceases arriving. Because it's, it's permanent. You can't. You can't just yeah. eat the bag, you know what I mean? Like the you cops pull up and away. you're like, well, I got to eat this entire pot plant, stock and all. <laughs> I make a nice, excuse me, officer, I'm just making a nice garden salad. Just let me get this julienne finished up and I'll answer the door. Yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah. And you can't go the, the route thing. of like, it's somebody else's, oh, who potted and raised and, and, and trimmed this here? <laughs> 
<laughs> you got your grow Bible there. You got your uh, you got your fish feces to the left. Just just denial. Just straight denial. Yeah, you know what, man? Uh, I wasn't cut out for that life. So I've Doc, not I think I saw some Rastafarians and... pass through earlier. I think they gently <laughs> potted, germinated, and brought this thing to veg. Listen, man, all you got to do is touch the earth sometimes, you know, and it just this just sprouts up. Um, yeah, but, you know, living in a world where now, you know, you can just have these things in your backyard growing. It's fascinating because over this summer I've been gauging... I've been gauging the reactions of like various visitors, and admittedly it's COVID, so they've been few and far between, between mostly family, all safely social distanced in my backyard according to local ordinances and regulations, of course. Um, however, that being said, still observing, still observing these family members, et cetera, and their reactions to stumbling upon the weed plants. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never make a show of it, right? I just, I, I put them off to the side, I keep them subtly hidden, and inevitably, we end up with these boomers or Gen Xers or whatever it is standing around the pot plants discussing cannabis. That's right. You know, it's a it's a it's a conversation 100% piece now. of the time. Yes. It's a conversation. 100% and listen, I I had my daughter's birthday party um last weekend. We had a big bouncy castle in the backyard. I want to just stress to you, it is a 20 foot long bouncy castle. So you have to walk 20 feet around the back of this bouncy castle and then around my garage to find the weed Mm -hmm, (laughs) and and wouldn't you know it all of a sudden I realized what 50% of the people who are at this party are no longer at this party and sure enough I walk around the bounce house past all the gleeful children around the corner of my garage there they are looking at the damn weed I mean they could have been German German shepherds man (laughs) (laughs) just just found their way around the side to my heart and there we are talking about inflammation and how do you smoke it and is it the leaves or is it the something else nope it's got a bud first, friend. You can't just smoke it right here. Actually, um, buddy, if you pull one of those leaves off and and you have a low enough sensitivity, you can smoke that right there and you'll get something. Well, it's not producing any uh, any trichomes yet. We got no no cannabinoids of that sort uh, over the plant, but uh, someday soon. And I don't know when they're going to flower, to be honest. My first batch. So I've got most of them. Uh, so, you know, I got to say, first and foremost, you get a real emotional attachment to these plants. So full warning for anybody who's going to plant their first weed plants, like you're going to get emotionally attached because you watch them sprout from seed. They're babies, Dan. They come out of the earth all earnest, little stalks. You got to protect them, shelter them, give them just enough wetness and moisture. And then all of a sudden they're outside one day, all on their own, sitting there in their little pots. Their pot's too big, you know, for the tiny little sprouts and leaves they got going and one day you turn around and they're like four feet tall, Dan, and they're all branched out and they're ready to be getting, harvested. And then you cut them down after for, they no, reproduce. No, no, yeah. no, and then no, you slice no. them apart and smoke their bodies. <laughs> That's what happens. I'm having a hard time with all of this. I really want to make a, a going to high school joke and you just wouldn't let me in there. Not for hook or crook. <laughs> I just, it's an emotional time for me, Dan. You have I can to understand. Tell. Yes. I got to cut down Barbara Bud, old Skywalker OG. He's got to go. She, I mean, they're all female. You know, our time. CBD Renee. <laughs> to, now you have to do two more. I'll wait. Granddaddy Purple. That's just a regular name. Try again. <laughs> uh, well, four seeds. So I got nothing else so, for you. Uh, Greg. Granddaddy Greg. <laughs> Granddaddy Greg. Sure. Yeah. There you are. Perfect. 
you know, we have a short time with our green friends. That's why we have to introduce them to as many guests as come by, meditate in their presence, and overall just give them that good life, as much fish feces as they can eat. So that when it's, it's time true. to cut them down, you can say, you had a good run. You know, and what's interesting about growing cannabis plants, one of the things that a new time grower will come to realize is like you have this, this idea in your mind that it's a straight line. You know what I mean? You're going to get in there. You're going to have all the applications. You're going to read your book. It's going to grow. You're going to harvest and away you go. But every day with these plants, like anything in life that's worth doing, a business, a relationship, a family, every day with these plants is a shit show, Dan. This one's getting eaten by slugs. This one, for some reason, didn't get enough water. Now it's wilted down like a, well, wilted thing. Nice. Yeah, I got I got real up in there. This one, I had to cut the leaves off. Did I cut too many leaves, Dan? Mm-hmm. Have I gotten rid of too much foliage? I haven't cut enough foliage. Is it not growing big enough? This one's the runt of the litter. It's a real emotional roller coaster, Dan, and yeah. it's starting to affect my sleep. You know, like, like actual uh, parents, we just do the best we can. Uh, for my <laughs> boys on the porch, uh, actually gals, I guess is more accurate, through the day, they start to just wilt off and they look so sad and I, I see them in their dire straits and I sprint out there and hit them with a bunch of beautiful uh, room temperature water and they just in in seconds they just ah, they like leaf back up <laughs> like yeah it blows my mind now I had not any um, type, type of grubs eating them I had some squirrel bandits ooh and I don't know. Are, ooh. I don't know what their drive was. If they wanted to leave, or that they wanted to get some of those tender root stalks. I'm not sure, but I've created a kind of labyrinthian spike traps around the soil of all my my guys in there, my gals, and uh, it's just toothpicks in the soil. And that's they're like, I don't know what's up over here. It's some sort of saw situation, and they're done. <laughs> that Ow, is pokey. pretty sinister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty sin. I mean, listen, that yeah, I, you know, my bar, my Barbara Bud uh, got taken down by a large animal, whether it was a warthog. raccoon or squirrel. I'll never know. Maybe a warthog. Um, mm-hmm. But that thing neatly, uh, not snapped, but bent the stalk right in the middle, and that plant did not do well for a. And this is what I'm saying, right? So I have a tragedy. I come out. This plant is spilled over like a gutted mob victim, you know, and I, I pull it up and I. I try and support it with a trellis. And I'm convinced this thing's just going to wither and die. And it looked like it was going to for like five weeks. And then all of a sudden it just exploded in majestic growth. Just ex- and now it's the tallest one I have because it went through that. <laughs> it's such a nice metaphor for life, Dan. It went through such adversity and look at the growth that it got out of that experience. The challenges only made it stronger and more determined. That's it. I it's, also, you, like- it's also venomous now <laughs> and it shoots barbs. Yeah. I don't know why it's firing so many barbs. <laughs> it's just every day is a metaphor with weed plants for things that are going on in your life. I honestly think everyone should grow a cannabis plant. Just one or two, probably five or four because it's the legal limit because you're going to lose a couple. But, you know, the uh, the challenging thing about growing cannabis is that the mental game is so hard and you want it to mature now and you take it so personally when pests and critters get into your into your stock. Like, it's just watching the poor leaves brown and wither away that have been gnawed on by animals. It's something you need to learn to live with, Dan. It's a great, uh, it's a great mental exercise. You touch on something beautiful, and I like, I love it, because at the beginning, if we're honest with ourselves, this started as a kind of mercantile 
sort of transaction type planting. We wanted bud, so we planted the plant. But when you saw that little sprout, that little sapling, something changed. Changed in our hearts. We were touched. (laughs) And it would never be the same. (laughs) Well, I think we waxed poetic on that one. Um, Yeah, the plants are coming along really nicely. And they're at the point right now where they're starting to branch out. And, you know, I'm starting to feel like I need to start supporting them with that kind of central pole. You, You end up, inevitably, you end up with a pole. And the problem with me was, Dan, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared. So I was just scavenging sticks in my backyard until eventually I got some bamboo. So first time growers, get yourself some bamboo sticks so you can tie your plant to it or else they're going to sag. And they're going to fall over until you find something makeshift to, to prop them up with. But um, what's neat is right if now, you top and lollipop, they bush out and you don't have that problem. No, I, I've been topping like a and, like lo- a, like and a lollipopping and lollipopping and lollipopping. And I was thinking of doing the scrog like all, and all of these are terms that you can easily Google. But to be honest with you, getting too fancy or thinking that it's complicated is like what I've learned so far is it's not complicated. It just requires tenacity. You know, mm. you put a sprout in the ground, you 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 take care of it and eventually you you figure out the issues that are plaguing your plant and away you go i had some mold on it for a little while there was some mold on the soil and i can't tell you how disappointed i was to see that and you know i went online and read all about it and it seemed to be some sort of reaction between maybe too much moisture um, the fish poop i was putting on there underwatering it after a period of time and it dried out and molded and um th- th- it was remedied by just a little bit of cinnamon dan Ooh. I was I was so overwrought. I was ready to like drive to the nearest hydroponics store and cry my eyes out until I figured out how to save my plants. Just a little bit of cinnamon and some water. That mold cleared up in a day. I wonder That's what amazing, other man. spices can remedy certain problems. Fungus? Get a little nutmeg on there. Fire yeah. ants? Cumin. Whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm trying to grow these all natural. And so the... um. Yeah, the the cinnamon and the fish shit and all of these these fun fun little additions really make me feel like I'm going through a process. And listen, you know, the garden is a hodgepodge. I look at these uh, I look at these like professional grows, um, you know, from the licensed producers here in Canada, or you know, just photos of these of these great grow rooms. And there's an element of consistency in those plants, Dan. They are roughly the same size, roughly the same shape. They all look pretty much the same. My plants are all over the damn place. This one's a little bent. This one's a little scrawny. This one's a little fat. But you know what? They all got personality, Dan. And that's uh, that's something that I'm almost more proud of, you know? Heck yes. And because they're au naturel, when they compete in the Olympics, they won't get popped by USADA by uh, pissing hot. <laughs> pissing hot. Um, yeah, man. So, you know, I, I guess we'll be in harvest in a few weeks. and uh, Or not a few weeks, probably about a month or so now. But uh I am looking forward to my first my first taste of these bad boys. Although it's going to take a little while to cure and to dry. Anyway, that's for another episode. Uh, Dan, have you seen? Uh, speaking of like your backyard, yes. <laughs> Are you aware that Flight Simulator has likely modeled it at this point? They banged it, bud. <laughs> I mean, so this is really interesting. So Flight Simulator is is launching, has launched. Has launched, is launched. Has launched. Wheels it's up, pretty much flaps all, down. All over the internet, I think everyone's first reaction was, wow, is that is that a game? Because it's so freaking photorealistic. And I mean, I played original Flight Simulator 95. I imagine you did too on the computer. That is not the original. The original actually oh. predates Windows. And it was so old school. The background, everything's black. 
and I would say the scantest suggestions of trains and buildings were present, just like lines that would refresh at a rate about two hertz every second they would pop up. And uh, and I saw uh, a family friend play this. And even in, in my ch- mind's eye as a child, I'm like, this is nothing. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never played that early version, but Windows 95 uh, Flight Simulator was was my first um, was my first shot at it, and I can tell you proudly, Dan, I never got off the runway. That that was, I think, the case. You know what I mean? It was always in a bank of a hundred other games, and I'd fire it up and fumble with the keyboard <laughs> controls with no guide until inevitably I crashed into the ground. Probably not even ever getting off the ground. You get that uh, windshield break on your plane and you're just done that's it it's over yeah you know flying at night flying in the day it never just it didn't pan out for me so um you know i've always liked the idea of flight simulator have never had the chance to play it i will say i likely will play this flight simulator if i can find it on a platform that is not my mac because this is not gonna this is not gonna happen on my macbook um and i'm you know I tend to I tend to skew more PlayStation than Xbox, um, but if there's an opportunity, I feel like this is the perfect opportunity for someone to install one of these in like in like a um, an esports cafe or something, right? Where you can just go and burn down a big joint and just fly in like an enclosed box for a while in VR or something. I don't know. That, that seems like it would be pretty epic. Yeah, and what's neat is is you said the word game. I think strictly speaking, this is not a game. Do you know what I mean? There's no objectives. There's no story arc. It is truly a simulator. But the simulator to end all simulators, and I've heard it said, this is our flight simulator for the next decade. You know, yeah, it, it there's is no question. That much beauty to the renderings, that much exactness to the train. They use the satellite data from Bing. So while it's not absolutely one to one, it's as damn close as we're gonna get. Uh, you know, till well, we've... they have three. They have three methods of rendering yeah. the cities. Right, the first one is they hand render the cities. So, for example, anywhere where there's an airport where you're gonna be taking off and landing, what they do is they actually have modelers go in there and recreate the city from maps and make it look really, really nice. And then they have. Um, the other two methods with our, which are some shade of um, using Bing or using uh, a satellite view to render uh, the earth. And yeah, I mean, when you get into drone mode, there was a video online of someone dropping in in like a drone and flying around the city. It's like, you know, 2003 Grand Theft Auto on the ground. But when you're more than like 100 feet away in the game from the building, it looks spot on. And you're never getting that close. You're never getting that close to the earth or else you would crash and die. So uh, it's just, it's breathtaking. But I got to ask you, right? Because there's two two topics that I think are interesting here. The first one is you just mentioned it. This is our flight simulator for the next like 10 years. Have you noticed that that timeline is happening a lot with games? Like because of the graphical fidelity and the complexity of the systems that are required to make a video game today, Naturally, they're lasting just longer and longer and longer and longer. I feel like it's such a weird like about face because we started off in an era where whatever Sonic 2 came out, you know, and Sonic 2 was played for like a decade because 
it was all whatever 2D pixel games, and there wasn't that much difference between Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, and those systems were around for a long time until we got to the 3D era. But now that we've gone so far in the direction of graphical fidelity and complex systems, it's like the iterations are so incremental that games are starting to last longer again. You know, like Flight Simulator, going to be around for a damn long time. You basically packaged it all up there, man. Like, that's exactly what it is. And if you were to ask, like, how big's big's the game world in this world? Well, it's the world. It's the Earth. It's the Earth, and they kind of committed. Anywhere there's an airport or even merely the suggestion of an airport, they're going to roll it out. Right now, I'm I'm looking at a still of Billy Bishop Airport, and I've been to this airport and, and walked the grounds. This bad boy is not exact. And there, oh. are, there, are, there are a couple of things. In fact, it looks like they've cut and pasted the, the rendering of the airport in front of the city on the water where it is. You got the Sky Dome and, and the CN Tower there. But, I mean, it's about as good as I've ever seen. Gorgeous. What I love about Flight Simulator in its history is there is a cadre, a, a, a veritable civilian air force that should your dreamliner on the way to India and to Bangalore or Mumbai uh, have a, a captain and have an aneurysm? And they're like, does anyone know how to fly this plane? Like 10 guys stand up and a couple ladies. Like, let, let me not cast any aspersions. Like, I'm pretty sure my, my stepfather, who has the full yoke throttle, the whole deal, could comfortably land, gl- glide that in, you know, <laughs> in, in the airport. Like, it, it's ready to go, you know. Many of the, the surgery games out there do not prepare you to remove a heart. I've seen the hack jobs that go down. But to land this plane, I think it makes a good shot. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And, you know, I mean, I think that it's a game that the closer, you, and of course, it's a simulation, it makes sense. But the closer you get to like a full rig, like you see, you know, some of these, um, some of these formula racers or stock car racers, NASCAR guys are doing these online races in, uh, what's the name of the program? Drive something? Ooh, like it's a, it's an online hyper-realistic dry, uh, racing simulator. Can't remember. Doesn't matter. Um, but regardless, the closer you get to that full setup with the throttle and I don't know, all the various buttons and as much of a kind of 180 degree field of vision that you would get in a cockpit, whether that's VR or like three monitors or whatever it is, the closer you get to just real bliss. You know, and I've never actually had that experience of playing something that immersive in that way. I kind of feel like it's a bucket list item for me at this point. Yeah, to really step into the closest representation of the machine. Um, I think the one thing that's always going to be lacking, whether it's uh, the flight sim or, uh, you know, the F1 simulation, is the, the physical impact on your body of accelerating from zero to 250 miles an hour or sure you know going pulling 15 g's in a tomcat you know it's i love it in games where you know i'm like got a guy in my six i'm gonna pull the full cobra maneuver go straight up going mach one and just it just shows my pilot just blacking out i'm like <laughs> what's your problem he's like There's no blood in my brain. <laughs> also your pot plant shot me with a barb <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i mean that that yeah i mean i imagine we'll get there so i mean if we look at it the rumble pack dan was pretty close 
that that was exactly like firing a glob if that was a, ge- a game it's it's a gun in the sense that it will give you like permanent repetitive damage but it's a different kind yeah i mean we'll get to the full sensory thing at some point and i actually really shudder to think what full sensory vr will will create the end as, of civilization is what it'll create yeah, we don't need to even go there cuz it's a dark future um, mm-hmm. you know replete replete with with a true escape from reality uh which uh could have some really disastrous impacts andy did you know with covid the sales of sex dolls have skyrocketed like a thousand percent there are things that you discover in your subreddits that Mm -hmm. i don't need to know about dan we've discussed this before it's for investment reasons well all right investment purpose you signed you signed the release I didn't sign up for any release. Thank you. Um, okay. I like how I say something a little off color, but you can't resist the off color joke that it sets up while you're admonishing me. It's a kind of both sides of the line game that I love. It's called gaslighting, Dan, and we millennials have become quite good at recognizing Experts. it. Experts, experts. Uh, let me just put aside my avocado toast and have a quick chat with you about the world as IP, though, because that's, that's what this kind of the first thing that came up for me as I'm looking into Flight Simulator is like, so you've functionally taken Bing or whatever the technology to map the world and you've created a game out of the world. And in some way, all of the monuments that we hold dear in this world all of the buildings that have been built by people, whether they be, you know, grand architectural feats, your house, Dan, that you pay your rent on is con- <laughs> is content in this game right now. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's a silly thing. Obviously, right now, nobody's seriously concerned about that. But when it gets to the point that we can rapidly and easily replicate the world quick, more quickly in a video game than we can create like an original idea... Do you think the level become a point where it's like, oh yeah, you can't just like make like Counter Strike and it be my neighborhood? You know what I mean? Like that's just not something you can do. But technically, we're approaching that moment. You know, two things, Andy. One, your persi- partici- uh, your participation in the world TM has caused you to involuntary sign away all your rights to being a participant in the world. And if we're going to capture the, capture the world and your things are in it, uh, you've already pre-signed that over by existing. It, it's sure. like, imagine, imagine if Ben Franklin was like, I didn't uh, license you to use my likeness in your history books. You're going to have to go ahead and omit that. I get it. I'm not, not even talking about like, from, okay, so let me, let me take, get away from the legal side of it because I'm sure you're absolutely correct. Um, and anything that's available in the public domain, aka something I can drive by and take a picture of, you know, is probably fair game. But it's still interesting to think of the idea that, like, just using the Earth, and for many other reasons, whether it's you know Google Street View and a better understanding of mapping and all of these things that actually have, you know, a progressive purpose for really just life and the advancement of society, they're also creating an environment where very soon. We can start creating 3D content. Video games would be the most adequate example uh, using these renderings, right? And so it's like, first of all, how many people will elect, how many businesses will elect to do that? Well, maybe all of them, maybe many of them, maybe none of them. Flight Simulator is doing it now, though. And Flight Simulator 2031, like how much more high fidelity can it get? 
to the point where, yeah, literally you're looking at your house. You're looking at like me in my backyard. Yes. You know? Yeah, there's you a level there's a level uh, you know, that does become intrusive, I'm sure. But if you told all the Sony guys that rendered uh New York for the latest Spider Man game that that could just be done automatically already that's already there just tweak it they would they would cry they would be be pleased they were they would be pleased um the second thing in my one of two things is dick cheney had his house removed from google maps oh boy and and like yeah i mean i think that this becomes the conversation as we go further along because me personally i would love to have my house in flight simulator you know rendered fully and they capture 365 days of of video footage in the backyard so like depending on the day of the year that you're flying over the house i might be in my backyard grilling a steak or or a hamburger or nothing at all right based on our previous conversation but i imagine there'd be a number of people that are like nah i'm out of that i'm out of this you know spoken like a true narcissist what did andy do when he got his dreamliner off the ground his cessna 177 uh he quickly take took a turn to his backyard to see what he was up to yeah you're flying i'm flying over my backyard and there's a crowd of like 13 boomers looking at my weed plants Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) i think we gotta maybe leave the labels behind are they starting to uh grade on you a little bit the boomer thing the all of it the i think that like there's just i think there's just such a topical but i agree with you i feel like i feel like we do leave that behind and and, because i know 30 year olds that are boomers you know, oh, I it's think true. Boomer is like a state of mind, but it's always like no one. It's not like the greatest generation where they lifted them up because your your grand peepaw uh, sucker punch Hitler in the gut. It's now all to push down. Everybody's ruining it every uh, everywhere. Everybody's ruining everybody's gen- thing. Yeah, it's the entire yeah. generation. I love the reports that are like millennials are eating. Uh, making less food at home and they're also going to less restaurants how can these both be true we're poor <laughs> we're poor we're just less food no. well it, it's yeah and it's it's frustrating to like i think every time that actually now that you mention it every time the conversation comes up i get mm-hmm. i personally get triggered when you're talking about an age group right yeah because there is just so much vitriol and like millennials really got a lot of, i don't know if we got it the worst maybe boomers got it the worst from their families but they didn't have it on social media no so (laughs) the whole thing about when those generations were talked about it was the greatest generation they won world war ii yay and then the boomers that were like they enjoyed unprecedented economic and social expansion so yay and then after that it was just the landslide of the previous generations generations shitting down on the ones that were coming next worse and worse and worse i think that for me and I hate that we're on this topic, but I kind of yeah, need to, I need, I need to get it out of me though. Yeah, Cause it's yes. like, you know, sometime around whatever, 2015 or 14, when a lot of millennials were beginning to, you know, whether, whether they were graduating from university, I, I think you're, you're probably the, in the last third of millennials graduating university, starting in the workforce. And, you know, I'd already been working for around five years at that point. And, um, reading, I don't know, it's just like this, this cascade of memes, like an entire internet worth of memes and articles, everything from like some garbage that someone like dredged up from the the back end of 4chan all the way on down to like Forbes magazine and and CNN. And everyone's talking about how entitled 
and horrible millennials are and how they're lazy and they don't know how to have conversations and they won't look you in the eye and they'll ghost you in interviews. And I was like, (laughs) what the hell have I been doing for five years? You know, it was, it was such a frustrating brush for my entire generation to be painted with. And even today, just the word millennial has a negative connotation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and it's so funny. I had had an animated argument with a friend of mine who's 37 the other day. And I was like, you know, you're a, you're a millennial, right? Oh, we like, hate it the worst. I'm in that right. age group. And we found out we're, a, we're quote unquote millennial when we we're like 19 or 20. And they've just called everyone this thing. And P.S. We put a little eat a bag of dicks in there because we hate your generation. I remember just an aside, Andy, I got my first job at Dell at a university. I remember all my university professors talking about how I'm going to be making, you know, close to three figures, very excited, get out to the workforce. I had to fight my way to 40 grand and I'm working Christmas Eve. Everybody else is, is not there. I'm there on my own and I'm reading this article on the, in like the, the Washington uh, Post and it's talking about how millennials are entitled and we expect everything. And I was just like, hey, 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 fuck you. I'm looking at my <laughs> student don't loan payment and how much you've chosen that I'm worth. It says it's going to take me 28 years to pay this off. What yeah. gives my dude? <laughs> it's true, man. And, and, you know, it's, it's a frustrating conversation to have. Cause I think millennials, like the people that I knew in university, uh, and met in university were really hopeful people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of hope, a lot of energy around, you know, how the world can look and, you know, what we're going to do and, and, and excitement to enter the workforce. And, you know, you start getting just this negative slog put in front of you and, and, it didn't impact me personally, you know, from a career perspective, but it definitely impacted many people in my peer group. And I just, you know, for me, I think that I'm glad we're mostly through that. And most millennials at this point are either nearing their thirties in their thirties, you know, they've got kids and jobs and everybody's persevered anyhow, but that narrative really never went away. You know what I mean? And and I hope that millennials for whatever generate, what generation is after us, Dan? Uh, what are they? Zoomers? Is that, is that the parlance no, now? No, Zoomers is, no, that's not. Z- Gen Y? I don't, I don't know who Gen, makes these. Gen Y was born between 98, or excuse me, 81 and 96. Nope. Uh, and then I'm looking at it right now. No, no, I just mean to say that's not who we're talking about. Oh, right? gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then, then they have Y.1 and Y.2, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Gen Z, 96 Gen to Z. 20, 2015. And I think sure. I, I've heard Zoomers get thrown around. Sure. Well, I, I've heard Zumba <laughs> get, get thrown around. So, yeah, Gen Z, I guess, is who we're talking about. And Anyone born really after hope- 1996 is a Zoomer. Sure, sure. And 1996 puts these people in their early 20s right now. And I really hope millennials, let's not mess this up and go and shit all over Gen Z or whatever generation comes after them. Like, let's be better than that and make them know that they are valued and honored people in our society. Because boy, did that suck, Dan. Yeah, because let's be honest, everybody's got problems. Boomers had a problem where, uh, you know, they had too many cars and boats. And then these younger people started complaining about them. Uh, but fucking, we can't talk about boomers' me, problems right finish, now. We're gonna be, let me finish. <laughs> we're going to be two hours you, in here. You stepped on my goddamn punchline. You garbage. <laughs> I'm sorry. Real I'm boomer sorry, move. Oh, everybody, Andy's move. got an opinion. Shut the fuck up, everyone else. Somebody <laughs> important is talking. Hey, man, it's a boomer move. What can I say? It is a serious boomer move. Anyway, 
they had all these boats and cars, and then these young people started complaining about them fucking the planet into a coma. <laughs> well, that's sinister. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, yes, every generation had their own issues. I don't know how we got here, uh, really, but I'm glad we went here. And mm. let this one stand for the record. Let this yes. one stand for yep. the record. Things. Uh, I feel like it's almost time for us to spark a joint, though, Dan. That feels like the right thing to do at this mm, moment in time. I agree completely. You know what that makes okay. this? I think this makes this th- the transition over to the smoke sesh where we talk about our sponsors. This episode of Purple Dungeon Squid brought to you by Rubber Baby Buggy Bumpers. Hi there. Is your baby getting buggy bumpered too harshly? Get him a new ride with a Rubber Baby Buggy Bumper. He'll be doing the bumping. <laughs> Okay, brought to you by Going Commando. Do you want the unrestricted movement of a man unbound by cotton or elastin? Strip off those britches and get wild with Going Commando. (laughs) And finally, brought to you by Ugly Self-Portraits. Is this what I look like? I don't look like this. Does my nose do that? Ugly (laughs) self-portraits. The shock is more interesting because presumably you've done the self-portrait. To yourself. I feel like you've you've painted it in pieces, like the the trees, and then you looked at the forest, and you said, that forest has a hooked nose. Ooh, that's a real Inception moment. If you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with this nonsense. I'll never stop. Dan, welcome to the smoke sesh, my good dude. I feel like, you know, we've positioned this a little earlier in the show, um, and I, I feel like it's the right move, because we always, we just, we smoke, and then it's pretty much time to go to bed. Now, time will tell if we smoke, and we still end up going to bed. <laughs> it's right hard away. to say. I, I'm going to put a, a brave new face on this. I say we move it up even further upcast, and we smoke right after the opener. Ooh, that's daring. I like I it. I love it. Let's do I it love next it. time. Let's do that next time. What are you I, smoking on today, Danny? I have to say, because sometimes in the front end, we're a couple of flat levers. Like, I listen back to some of that audio, and I'm like, I don't know about any of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if we don't have boomers to move us... Jeez, I won't go there again. Not Get that it. well one more time. Jeez. What are you smoking on today? Uh, let me just scroll through the show notes, because I totally remember what I'm smoking. Uh, I visited one of my favorite medical growers, and, and he has gifted me a number of, of dainty little packages, and this one is Critical Orange Punch. Ooh, Critical Orange Punch. Actually, Critical Orange Punch also available on the recreational market from, I think it's ABBA Medics out of, uh, ooh, out of Saskatchewan. Yeah, I looked. There's nothing available within 80 kilometers of my homestead. No, the uh, Critical Orange Punch not available in Ontario yet, but it is available in Alberta and Sask. And actually, it's quite nice. Big, thick nugs, very, uh, very citrusy smelling. But um, please, let's let's see that nug. We're actually on camera today, so I can. I can so you want to take it. a you want to take a peek at this? So I want to take a peep at this guy. For the for describe the, it to us, Dan. For the audience, I'll talk about it a little bit. So you see this guy. Right there, Andy, you got to, let me get that closer. 
Oh, I can almost smell it, Dan. Mm, yes. So this is cakey. It is frosty. It's got just such a delicate coating of white. Um, the leaves are so uh, coated in the beautiful crystal that you can scarcely see the green that lies beneath. And it's got these these sort of orange hairs intermingled ever so sparsely reaching to the sun. And it, uh, this bud, as you can see, Andy, it's kind of a chunky bud. It's not okay. a, a long, full guy. It's it's a little bit chunky, and if I get a nose on it, um, definitely pine, pine and wood. And I'm not getting a ton of the citrus on the nose. Okay, but it is definitely it is definitely there. Yeah, apparently um, a little bit skunkier. That's that's what they're calling for here. On uh, I guess it's Lift and Co. that's talking about this one. Although Dutch Passion, uh, I think, is the original breeder of this bad boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks like it's Dutch passion. Um, cool. Are you going to light her up? What are you doing? Grinding this into a bowl or what's happening here? Uh, do you have it pulled up on Leafly? I do. I do. I have it on Dutch passion. Oh, well, we're a Leafly house around here, Big Papa. We used to, you know what? I will say this. We used to be a Leafly house. But I've spent a lot more time diving into the annals of strain categorization and cataloging online. And I find you just often get a little bit more interesting color on these strains, probably unsurprisingly. But from the, uh, from the original growers, from the breeders um, who, who you know, either crafted it or sometimes you'll get really interesting independent reviewers or, um, or growers who you know, will, will speak a little bit about the history. Because there's just so much cool oral weed history that I think it would be unreasonable to expect Leafly to be able to pull that deep into the information. So yeah, I just, uh, I really like uh, the Dutch passion description here. Well, there you go. There you are. Are uh, you firing up in the bowl? Ooh, there it goes. Critical orange punch is a photo period seed variety. The first Dutch passion strain based on outstanding critical Bilbo genetics from Spain. The breeding began by crossing elite cuttings of Granddaddy Purple, one of my very favorite strains, and Orange Bud. Uh, the result was a supreme smoke with a great taste, but below average yields. When this was further crossed with an XXL yielding THC-rich critical, the yields were dramatically improved thanks to the growth vigor in the critical. So Critical Orange Punch, therefore, has a rich, skunky citrus taste and an Afghan hash aroma, along with a long-lasting, powerful euphoric high oh isn't that nice and the photos of this is beautiful by the way i'm definitely getting um the pine and what actually tastes like orange citrus rinds almost um oh. for such a high potency guy um and and you know maybe this is a a, a benefit to the the grow uh because i saw the 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 buds and and the plants he had going on and they oh nice bag appeal let me see that yeah, see that guy? Buddy, looking at weed. No, look at the other camera. Other camera. Oh, sorry. Wrong camera. I'm over here. Yeah, there you go. You got two going. I got to be honest with you. Like, looking at weed in a bag is just such a nostalgic thing that I never get to do anymore. Bag appeal. Beautiful. You see, I also got the Beveda pack in there because it was still curing when this Keeping bad boy made it to me. humidity going. Ooh. 62, Ooh. buddy. That's where it's 62, at. 62. That's what it's all about. Um, beautiful, man. Well, uh, sorry, you were saying about the about the uh, the buds? Oh, I don't know if it, if it's just uh, the quality of the grow, but they're so potent. Like, I've had some of the other stuff that I, I got uh, from this one this one farm, and but it, it's not harsh. Like, I know this thing is bearing down on me like a freight train, but in the mouth and the throat, it is as smooth as can be. 
Lovely. Well, I'm smoking on a little God Bud grown by our friends at Redican here uh, in Ontario. They're out of Hamilton. And I think I've smoked a Reddy on the show before, yeah? So Reddies are these uh, really beautiful... Now, the Redican family, they are from the tobacco space. And so they have a really amazing cigarette roller that allows them to roll joint cigarettes, as you can see here. That just looks Um, like a smoke, yeah. It looks like a cigarette, but it's not a fiberglass filter. Actually, fun fact... A lot of the flavor of cigarettes actually comes from the fiberglass filter, if you Horrifying. didn't know that. Horrifying. It's really weird because a lot of the toxins as well come from that fiberglass filter. This is just a regular um, you know, cardboard filter like you would have if you, uh, if you bought filter tips or whatever it is. And then the paper is literally just uh, whatever, whatever paper they use to roll their, uh, their super skinny smokes. And it burns so evenly, Dan. It really is the future of, uh, of joints, in my opinion. I'm going to go ahead and spark this up. This is some God Bud. Ooh, by the way, really... Um, I would say like a herbaceous berry element here, like like really a nice like almost blueberry in there, and uh, very floral. Um, almost you know when you walk, first walk into a florist and you get blasted by that like vegetal floral kind of smell or like a greenhouse. That's what I'm smelling here. Nice. I'm gonna go ahead and spark this guy up. I gotta say, Andy, as cool as you know that role is. The the appearance of the cigarette, having combining weed into that world, it, I don't like the look of it. Like, I like the rustic look of a joint. Uh, there's a craftsmanship to it. And to see it like that, it's a put off for me. Did you find that yourself? No. Um, originally, uh, I would have agreed with you. But after taking a couple tokes off of it and realizing that it burns absolutely perfectly uh, with no risk of canoeing, uh, it's quite incredible actually see um, while that you know, might be a good feature and something that's perfected by that industry i think that's part of the ritual and it shows how well you rolled it and how how well cured your weed is well, I, I would agree with you if you're rolling your own joints because i still roll my own joints quite a bit but when you're buying a pre-roll joint inevitably unless you're buying from for example uh, a craft grower or something like that who's giving you a joint yeah they're pre-rolls. rolling with a joint yeah they're, they're rolling with a joint machine right they're right. using either a what do they call it um uh, some sort of, uh, oh God, a box of some sort. They do like 48 or 96 yeah. at a time. Yep. And the, the rolls are always too tight. They often canoe. And to be honest with you, the pull on this, the smoothness of the smoke and the fact that it does not canoe, as well as it burns slower than a pre-roll joint. Right. And because it's cylindrical, like a smoke, as opposed to conical, you don't end up with the issue of lighting it and then having the first, whatever, five tokes be huge, losing a ton off the front. And then by the time you get halfway down the joint, you end up with, you know, a third of the weed left, right? Yeah. Clearly a lot of features. And like, maybe this is all a nostalgia thing. And maybe it's my mental association with cigarettes, but like I, I just can't get there. It sounds like feature-wise, it's it's solid. Like even right now, while I'm seeing you puff on this cigarette as it looks like, I don't have all the same feelings as some seeing somebody take a nice big pull from a joint. Yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, I think that there's a novelty here as well that... Um, and I don't know what way this is going to go in general, whether we'll see more of these or, you know, people will shy away from it. I can tell you this is definitely one of the hottest products in the country right now. Redican Reddies are demanded. Um, and in fact, uh, all over Ontario, there were almost none available through the month of July and stores were getting like calls every 10 minutes. People what kind of production for, for did they, what's the production capacity, would you say? 
Well, there's together? a lot of new, there's a lot of nuances to Canadian cannabis production, sure. right? Because you've yep. got your growing cycles for sure. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of the interactions with the liquor boards is the the more challenging component. The logistics of shipping in and and what liquor boards are getting what product, etc. Right. Um, similarly, like they can only produce so many of these on their rolling machine. Like rolling machines uh, of this kind, the, what you need to roll this relatively simple looking cigarette style joint yeah. is like. Uh, six or seven figure machine a super specific industrialized machine oh yeah exactly yes it's like the pinnacle i think you could argue the pinnacle of rolling technology it probably spits out a hundred thousand uh cigarettes in an an hour it's probably something like that i don't know the exact number and in fact it's a lot lower than that because yes it could probably do a hundred thousand cigarettes but with cannabis, you've got to frequently clean the machine because of the resin buildup. And the resin buildup is a huge factor. Significant. It's part of the product, right? Whereas a tobacco dries out so much more nicely, especially the way they prepare it. I actually think I saw um, a show going through how they make cigarettes. I think it was uh, Sesame Street. I think it was <laughs> Elmo and Ernie talking me through how Redican makes uh, delicious mild slims. But if it's on YouTube today, I would friggin' believe it because there's mm. some weird rabbit holes on there. But um, it's interesting though because like I, I went to a tobacco convention back last September in Ger- in Germany. It's called Intertobac, and like the technology required, as you mentioned, super specialized, and not only super specialized, but like assembled by hand, obviously, right? So you've got these extremely specialized machines, extremely expensive. And like, you got to auction it off to the highest bidder. Right. As you can imagine, there are a lot of licensed producers or people in the cannabis space looking to capitalize on a mass rolling machine. And you can only produce one every, God, what, a year? How long does it take you to build the machine? Right? So they're going for millions and millions of dollars because it's to the highest bidder. And there's a lot of drama around the whole scenario. It's really fascinating, actually. I, I think that's completely true. And it, it throws me into like where this comes from for me. And I think I have this like my where my heart wants weed is like all these artisanal small scale producers producing like a very pure product and it sort of fanning out as a local product, uh, you know, and to see it go the other way. You know, to have somebody who's obviously very well suited to meeting the market's needs. Like you said, you rhymed off all the personal things that you're like, this is what makes this great. And, you know, it, it's still that movement of the, the market doesn't like speak to me as how I like to smoke. But I could see it's obviously popular for a lot of people to do. Like to give you an, uh, uh, like a parallel, I love cigars, love them. And it's not just the beautiful taste and how it pairs with food or, or, or beverages, but it's like what went into making this thing I'm holding. And when I, I, th- I think of a, uh, a farmer who's been farming tobacco in Cuba for, you know, arguably 200 plus years and they hand roll it in the most perfect way, they select the leaves, like that kind of process like speaks to me for a product mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy. Yeah, man. I mean, I think the legal cannabis industry is going that way also. Like you have to also remember there's a lot of, um, it's early days first and foremost. Yeah. So the logistical hurdles of getting that craft level of cannabis into a regulated system, really difficult, right? You know, growing it's the second you put out a great product on the market, it gets snapped up because well, people want that great cannabis. In you know? fairness, we'd have been market testing for, you know, a couple hundred years, really just warm <laughs> testing the market. 
It's true, man. It's true. And it's like, it's the, it's the challenge of the ever challenging, uh, landscape of legalized cannabis. Cause you go from a place where people are just growing it, albeit the, you know, the penalty is jail time or fines or whatever it is, but it's just out there being grown and, 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 uh, and sold, et cetera, to a legalized society where, you know, there's a lot of regulation that goes into it. And arguably, you know, it's, it's a great thing to be able to have standardized consumer packaged goods, right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, you go to the grocery store, you go to the liquor store, you buy a bottle of wine, you know, exactly the standard to which it's been produced at, right? It's the same thing now with cannabis. Not only that, but of course, everything that's going into keeping out of the hands of minors, et cetera. But when it comes to like actually executing on getting enough weed for the country to have that's good and of the quality that they want, it's a really difficult challenge. Yeah. Because let me tell you, we're in a massive oversupply right now. There is way more weed out there than Canada could ever smoke in the legal channel. The problem mm-hmm. is, is there's only a small amount of it that people actually want to buy. Right. Yeah. And that's what retailers, for example, are doing a lot of work on and curating and licensed yeah. producers and the liquor boards. They spend a lot of time working together on analyzing what's selling. And, and you know, first people weren't using street names. They wanted to get away from the street names of cannabis. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that everybody wants the street names. You know, <laughs> they want to call it granddaddy purple. They want to call it blue dream. Those are familiar things. And they've been built into cannabis culture for the last, you know, yeah, I just mean, like you're not going to change the name but, of my favorite movie. Do you know what I right. mean? Oh, it's a new movie. It's a new name. It's the same movie. Right. Like if, uh, like if uh, back to the future was called, super fast car <laughs> yeah well and that's it and so you know we had this issue with strain names and people are coming now producers are coming about to it and you know then there was this this challenge of trying to grow so much cannabis all at once and when is legalization coming and when can we ship the product in that a lot of it ended up being old and dry and you know low thc and low cannabinoid and no terpenes and this was the legal weed that canada launched with in like 2018 and it's funny because a lot of guys, maybe yourself included, like at that time had a bad experience with dry weed, right? And it was like over for them. They're like, oh, government legal weed sucks. But what's amazing is we're actually at the point now where, and it's getting better and better every day, but there are craft growers that are coming into the space. There's a company called Good Buds out on Salt Spring Island in BC. And they've been growing cannabis there for a very long time. They're a family farm. They were one of the first licensed licensed producers. And their cannabis is fire, man. Like, it's really fucking good, you know? It's like something where our market is, it like functions so well at this specifically. And I take a lot of dumps on capitalism, but let me say it'll take an industry and a market and find exactly what it wants and it's buying, set a quality for uh, uh, the, the product and the timeliness and how much they produce. And it'll just sort that whole market out and make it work. And it'll take a little bit of time on the way. And leading into that, it's going to be funny when OCS, our legal weed sold by the province, uh, drops their ad once they've got it all figured out where they're like, our weed, it's dank now. Now it's dank. <laughs> Thank you, like government of Ontario. Well, I got to be honest. The and that's the funniest thing. That's the funniest thing about the cannabis industry is what the cannabis industry needs. The cannabis industry just needs to look at cannabis culture, you know? And it's funny because like 
we've been in cannabis culture for a long time, but a lot of the folks that came into the legal cannabis space kind of wanted to separate themselves from that. I was sitting in a, you know, at a panel, I don't know, in 2017 or late 2017, um, listening to the head of a national retail chain talk about how, who they were, who they were trying to segment for their business. So they were, they were targeting, you know, affluent people that you were university educated and $75,000 plus in income and all of these things that, you know, uh, big consulting firms like Deloitte had put out as the target market for cannabis. Right. And I'm sitting here going, well, those people aren't buying my bongs right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? mm-hmm. Like those people aren't buying the smoking accessories. Those people aren't in the cannabis culture. And sure enough, you know, these brands, these retail businesses, they launched and had no idea of the cannabis culture and frankly, no respect for it. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just there to serve whatever the new, the new community was. Cause we didn't want to be affiliated with the old community. We don't want hippies and, and, you know, blue collar workers and those people in here. We want sexy, you know, professionals with, with beautiful polished lives to come and grace our store. And, you know, for me, that was kind of gross. It was very gross, actually, because cannabis culture is the one thing that's missing from legal cannabis. And it's coming back, man. You know, yeah. we're getting it through the producers. We're getting it now through the retailers. All Everybody's been forced to say, okay, wait a minute. We got to pay a little respect to cannabis culture because it's not only worth paying respect to, it's essential if the cannabis market is ever going to be good in Canada. That consultant set looked at the whole thing and said, we got this tap market and they already have dealers and we want to go for our, our big blue ocean and, <laughs> and go where like the new comfort around smoking is going to bring this huge new customer base in. But they made the mistake of like missing their true core supporters and who had been carrying the torch in so many ways, totally. uh, you know, both on the genetic and growing side, uh, but the, the kind of truly the underground community that had forced itself into all culture on every level uh, that we refer to as weed culture. And it, it's wider than you think, you know what I mean? And, and, and growing, which is, I think the beautiful totally. thing. And I think it, it's so, it's so elementary that they, they turn back and ask those people, how they think should things should go, you know, what kind of products and, <laughs> and like the fact that they didn't price almost anywhere to get these guys that are, have been smokers or gals, you know, community that have been smokers forever to give them a break on weight on quantity, especially when you look at the market and the entire market's like, we have too much weed. We have all the, weed. they could bring dump trucks in Andy. You know what well, I mean? They have. I mean, so if again, it, right now, the the market is adapting to the needs of the cannabis consumer now, right? Yeah, yeah. And so now we're seeing the value segment come out. And this is value offerings. You know, in Canada, we've got TWD, we've got Daily Special, we've got Dealer's Pick, Grower's Choice. You and these know, are growers? Uh, these are stash. retailers? These are brands. These brands. are brands. Yeah. Brands of cannabis that you can purchase, right? Oh. Um, at, at legal retailers. So <laughs> Simple Stash, for example, you've got uh, I think it's five grams for twenty-seven or twenty-eight dollars, right? You've got a lot of eighths, so three and a half gram packs being sold by again TWD or Daily Special that are twenty-four dollars. And you contrast that with the beginning of twenty eighteen. You couldn't get cannabis over seventeen percent THC at lower than like forty-five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, good point. So the price has come down like twenty dollars for an eighth in the last two years, and that's why it's like okay, well. 
first of all, there's lots of supply chain issues that you're dealing with when you've got that kind of situation. But it's so interesting because now it's at the point where, yeah, man, we're seeing a lot of legacy smokers begin to turn their coats and say, well, yeah, I mean, I love my dealer and I love the guys that I bought from or the mail order service was cool, but like I can go down the street and it's Friday and I'm done work and I just want to buy some weed. And actually it's pretty friggin' good now. Andy, you you talk to our friends down south and you you know, our one buddy, it looks like it's a sales bonanza every time you see his hauls, like what he's pulling down. So you see how Florida has has approached it. It's funny that you frame it as like turncoats. Like, you know, they go, they flip their jacket over and it's like a a Ralph Lauren polo. Like, obviously, I mean, as expected, there were real vocal detractors of legal cannabis, right? Fuck government weed, screw legal weed, like people making Instagram accounts to go and spam everybody and say, you shouldn't be buying legal weed, buy from this source. And by the way, you can get mushrooms and ketamine and cocaine too. It's just like (laughs) the most bananas thing ever. And what's horrible is it's, I presume, let me give the benefit of the doubt, really difficult to police these people, right? Because as you these can imagine- people? Well, when I say these people, I mean <laughs> I anybody with the audacity to jump into someone's like business and be like, hey, come buy weed for me, man. Like, you know, come well, over to you my could, you could argue shit. You could argue they're both running businesses. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hear you. I understand. But mm-hmm. that being said, within the confines of the law- Correct. Right? The Correct. law, the, the, the law- of the country that has decided to be on the leading edge of cannabis legalization, the law has said, hey, in order for us to do this properly, if you want to sell weed, here's the permitting and the things you need to go through to, to get that done. And admittedly, it's not simple. Yes. But by the same token, if you're a dude who's in like remote British Columbia and you're selling $100,000 of marijuana on the internet, I'm not going to say you have any less right to go have a great freedom and future, but that business can't exist and a great legalized industry. You can't have those two things at the same time, right? Yeah. And I think that you're right in the sense that it's a thing about scale, right? If you're going to bring an entire culture forward into consuming cannabis in a way that works for everybody, there's necessary evils to legalizing cannabis and there's necessary evils to smoking cannabis at all. You know, So you accept certain things about them. You take the totally. bad with the good. And I, I think that one of the best ways to do it is with a referendum, like a lot of states are doing, where they're voting on cannabis legalization and the terms and what that looks like, how it's structured. And then it becomes not yay or nay, but what? how are we doing it? Does the way that we're setting it up make sense for all the people? And I don't think anyone's got it perfect just right. But, you know, a, a, a lot of times voters have looked at it and said no, like in Vermont and I believe Portland, I think Maine had a, a couple uh, legalized motions that were voted down by the core supporters because they either uh, were giving the rights to two specific corporations for 100 years or, you know, whatever it happened to right. be, you know. Sure. So, but I, it's one of the I think, things that capitalism, going back, this does really well is setting up these markets in a way that they work and, and uh, do the best they can for everyone. Uh, I just I would like to see a strong opening path for new participators in the business and it doesn't become like a monopoly given 20 or 25 years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, there are hundreds of licensed producers growing across the country and I actually saw exactly what you mentioned on LinkedIn the other day. You know, there was a three week period where only a, where no BC micro grows were were um, were licensed. And, you know, 
that just, first of all, yes, it was a three-week period and that probably shouldn't happen if there were 17 other grows that were licensed. But by the same token, the fact that it's a conversation is encouraging because people are looking out for smaller producers and they are wanting these folks to get to market. It's just tough, right? Because you got to distribute to hundreds and hundreds of retailers in each province, or at least in Alberta. And so if you're a small craft grower and you're growing your thing and you got 200 plants and hallelujah, like, let's get this done. Well, you can supply that market. Like you can supply half that market for like one day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you can, you can sell in 200 of those stores one time, you know? And so it becomes challenging because you're like, okay, yeah, I do like want that craft feel, but if I've got good enough craft weed, man. I got to make sure I can give it to everybody. It's about accessibility. It's about your right to go in and buy it, you know? And so I think that the, the, the touch and feel that you're discussing, especially as Canadians get a little bit better at growing cannabis and and their backyard and like whatever it might be, there's definitely going to be that kind of farmer's market feel between friends and this person growing this and this person growing that, but it's going to be niche. You know what I mean? Not everybody has the time or space to do that kind of thing. I hope so, it becomes like giving someone tomatoes out of your garden. They're it, not it getting tomatoes from your garden every week. You know what I mean? For but sure. it is it is getting and I'm I'm glad that that's something that's, you know, permissible under the our laws and many others. But I will also say I have no interest in going back to the days. Forget about the sketchiness or the illegality of it or whatever it is. I have no interest in going back to the days where when I wanted convenient weed, I probably didn't know what it was probably didn't know the strain, probably didn't know what I was smoking. And more importantly, like it wasn't the same quality of the thing I bought last time. Yes. And that's one of the things, the consistency is so cool because if you find a strain you like by a brand you like, generally speaking, again, it's getting better and better all the time, but generally speaking, you can actually go and buy it again. And cannabis is such a personal experience that when you find a strain you like, it's really hard to let go of that strain, you know, uh, completely. And, and like you said, availability and the quality are just something you wouldn't find before. And when I'm talking to a dealer and I ask what the strain is and he says, I don't know, I'm like, Hey man, lie to me, get close. Give me something to work on. Don't be so incredibly <laughs> lazy. Yeah. The excuse, the, the excuse for having bad weed, like you're, 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 you've rolled up a J and you're handing around and it's terrible weed. There's, there's no excuse for that anymore. Nah, no, nah, unless no, it's your not. first grow. Yeah, that's what I got, guys. That's what I got. I grew, uh, I grew some magnetic earthworm. It's not that good, but I made it up. Salt we got. It's a cross between whatever seed I found in my shitty weed last time. (laughs) That's literally what I'm growing. It's right just out of a bag, plunked into the ground. Let's see what's happening. Oh yeah, you literally got a seed in your weed and you grew it. I grew it, yeah. And actually, it was uh, my sweet, sweet lady that that took that upon herself. Ingenious, ingenious. So, um. Yeah, man. I mean, legal weed, it's uh, it's an interesting, and I'm sure it's not the last time we'll talk about it. It's, it's such an interesting thing to watch because it's history, buddy. It's like we're, we live in the country that said yes to weed legally. You yep. know what I mean? Federally. We were, the, we, were the, we were the country that put our hands up first and said, hey, I think we should all be smoking weed. <laughs> I think that would make for a better society. And to that, I say, fantastic. You know what else is fantastic, Dan? What is that, my man? Baldur's Gate 3, buddy. Ooh. Baldur's Gate 3 entering early access like pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um, and this titillated me for a couple reasons. First and foremost, because I love, I love Baldur's Gate. Classic. And secondly, I had no idea there was a Baldur's Gate 3 coming. Oh, really? 
We talked it. We, yep. we we joshed about it on the show. I'm pretty sure. Did we? I mean, listen, yeah. buddy. It's a Weed and Video Games podcast, so it just it happens, right? But I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because Baldur's Gate three. Um, there's not so much out about it, but uh, you know, there's a couple little screen captures and some concept art, and it's entering early access on the 30th of September. Um, and early access, you know, they've mentioned it's not going to be like a complete game. There's only going to be four levels worth of content. It's going to be a lot of trial and repeat and and actual testing. Um, So I appreciate that they've been transparent about that. But dude, like, are you a Baldur's Gate one, Baldur's Gate two, Shadows of Are you are you a fan or risk? Go for the eyes, risk. No, Uh, (laughs) or is it boo? It's boo. Boo. It's boo. It's the boo. It's the little mouse. Yes. Boo. Go for the eyes, boo. Uh, just some of the, the funniest characters and just uh, for the state of the art of like being able to play D and D a D and D campaign, like as best as you possibly do, could do one player, it nailed it. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, um, Icewind Dale, all of these games made up such an amazing period of time. in like my life as a gamer, I remember, you know, my dad at his house, there was an old computer that he had gotten out of his, like my dad used to work in cars and, uh, from his dealership, he had taken home like an old computer. They used to, I don't know, do the taxes on or some shit, keep the books. And he had this in his home. And I remember going to games, uh, EB games and buying Icewind Dale, popping it in the tray, installing it for what seemed like two hours. Right. And not being able to play this thing even remotely well you know we're talking like some of the colors were wrong oh it launched oh it launched yeah well God some of the colors you. were wrong yeah co- colors were wrong uh extremely laggy like it took like uh, probably realistically like 11 to 12 seconds to open your bag or your inventory but it was a game that you could pause with your space bar and click on things and go do your actions and a lot of it was reading Right. And so I like, I won't say I struggled through this. Eventually I got back to my home and I put it in my own computer and it was fine enough to run the game. But I remember wanting to play this game so much and still enjoying it despite that incredible hurdle. As an adult, I would not endure that, Dan. (laughs) It was a kind of uh, storybook retelling. Like when you hit your inventory, your guy is pulling his like sack off his back and rooting sure. through it. Do you know sure. what I mean? There's a kind sure. of injected realism to it That's at that it, level. Buddy. That's it. I was, that. yeah, I, I, uh, I was probably not thinking that deeply about it. I was probably swearing quite loudly at the fact that I was waiting, but the game itself, the, that era of top down isometric RPGs holds a really special part in my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it was like the first of its generation to really bring that, flow of movement to an isometric top-down view that rolled battle into it on the same map so you're fighting and moving around in the same space that like set it apart from other games that felt more like um, either closer to an Ultima that's like really chunky Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. the other side of a really similar thing like a point-and-click adventure like um, right. You know, your Monkey Islands, or I, what I, when I uh, recently played called Stygian. Stygian. Mm. It's an Arkham thing. A, um, it's a Cthulhu mythos thing. Uh, but uh, nice. You know, those those games feel a little bit different, and they kind of nailed that feel and ran with it for a bunch of games. Yeah, man. I mean, Neverwinter Nights. You know, I've I've spoken about that game many times, but I um I remember you know being a whatever 
preteen or young teenager, whatever, and um, had a had one of my friends over, and and we spent the entire Christmas break just loading up and we couldn't even figure out how to do local area network like we couldn't figure out how to do two-player co-op you know what i mean <laughs> so we just played it on two separate computers separately you know That's we downloaded up. mod packs and adventures we'd download the same adventure pack made by some dude in whatever you know tucson and we'd uh we'd load it up and we'd play it together for hours and hours and by the end of that two-week period i had like a level 17 cleric you know and it was just like it was it's one of those is it the most perfect game of all time certainly not but it's one of those uh moments of gaming memory that you just don't get rid of it's why you continue playing video games you know it's, it's such a perfect covid metaphor they're like you guys are playing together but apart oh yeah well and that's exactly yeah that's a, no i was just gonna say i'm actually interested about that because you know part so much of the gaming or the or the smoking ritual is about doing it with another person right you know for me especially gaming is is almost always a multiplayer activity and but the smoking too right you know passing a joint is not really something we get to do during covid have you uh, have you shared cannabis with anybody during this period other than your your lady i have to say i have um within my oh you didn't puff puff pass did you i i'm almost certain i did yeah oh dan i was no no buddy i was there in my circle okay i'll tell you that i happen to know that they're both almost always quarantiners they're not running a sandwich stand in Times square and uh, i did take their uh temperature rectally before i got the great yeah which glad you got that out of the way then it's then we're we're okay and then she rolled the joint so it was it was messy Yuck. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing right now, right? Like a lot of people are not rolling big joints or buying big joints. Mm. You know, Reddy's is an example, one of the hottest products through COVID because there's 10 of these in the pack. You know, they're 0.35 gram pre-rolls. So you're buying an eighth functionally for about 30 bucks. So you're less than 10 bucks a gram. And you've got 10 occasions in here, which means that if you've got yourself and four other people and you're outside in a park, you know. Hold up, Andy. 10 occasions. Are you reading right off their marketing material? I think (laughs) if I searched you right now, I'd see a check that says Redican. (laughs) And on the notes, it says betrayal. I mean, what's funny is that I'm just legitimately so passionate about this product because, you know, for me, I look at, and I I realized I was buying joints this way in that I was really tired of buying one gram joints. I actually, pardon my You're like the guy in gray on the infomercial. Are you tired of buying one gram (laughs) joints? You like drop it and then it like breaks in your hand and then somehow like you're lighting it from the wrong end. You're like, how does this even work? (laughs) Well, more specifically, you're lighting it and then you're putting it out because I don't smoke a gram at a time. Like, that's just too much for me, you know? Andy, um, they're called bongs. I guess this you could have in your front shirt pocket and you could roll around and do whatever. Like, you're right, the the, the apparatus of the, the Lord Bongington is a home. It's a home device. It's a home thing, man. I mean, pre-rolls are... A for on the go. Like, on the I mean, go. I'm, not, I'm not bringing a bong to a park. I mean, you could, but I'm not bringing a bong to yeah, like, actually, a park. Actually, you or... specifically might bring a bong to a park. I might. I might Where really. many men would not. Right. That's that's actually very fair. I've given bongs to more people than I care to admit. Pre-rolls are just the ultimate inconvenience, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you just, you just don't want to roll a joint. Like, even for me, 
I've changed my rolling habits to the point where I now roll five to ten joints at a time. I'll take down an eighth. Andy, what do you what do you do with your butts? You mean my roaches? Are they do they are they a quote roach? Like when you stop smoking it and you have just the filter, what do you do with the filter? Well, the filter is cardboard, so it just goes in the recycling. Okay. So, but I look to me, like, show me the end of that. This is not obviously for our listening audience, uh, but I just, I need to peep these back ends. Can't see it, can't see it. No, you need to show it to me, like, yeah. Oh, oh, it's like a, just a rolled, a thick old rolled piece of car- cardboard that looks like a yin It's like a rolled piece of cardboard, buddy. And, it looks and just like a filter tip. It's like the, fa- the fattest filter you've ever seen. How much of the, how much of the ready is that? Like, as a balance? Uh, it's about a third. It's about a third. Okay, so that thing's like, hold it away so I can see it a bit. So it's it's about three-fifths, actually, of the length of it. Yeah, about three-fifths. Of, I mean, again, it's a 0.35 joint, because that's, to me, session size for a personal joint. Right. You know, I want to smoke 0.35 grams. If I'm, like, really feeling it, I can upgrade to a half-gram joint. But, like, 0.35 is perfect for me. You get a little tune on, you're not too high, and, like, just a beautiful experience. And so the ones that are the larger size, it's the same form factor, look just looks just like a cigarette, but the filter's just shorter. Nah. Nah, Reddy's only coming 0.35. So oh. if you're going to go, like, another pre-roll joint would be just from a different company or a different brand. The look of it, to me, they could make another portion of that easily the same weed and just have sell a larger size. Yeah, oh yeah, like a king, <laughs> like a king size. A king ready. size. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that would require another million dollar machine, but it, might, it just we're, may. We're now, we're now in a pitch meeting, a marketing pitch meeting. No, like it's um, you wouldn't have to do another machine. You just set the sh- set the tolerances slightly different. I don't know, man. I I wish I was an engineer, but um, as as I'm not, I all I can say is, with respect to to joints right now, especially during COVID time, I really feel like. Having smaller joints rolled up is like the ultimate COVID hack because inevitably, whether you're in your someone's circle or not, or, you know, you're bumping into people, if there's going to be smoking happening, it's super cringy at this point to be sharing a bong or, a, or God forbid, a joint, etc. So like passing, having a pack, I have 10 joints in here, buddy. I paid $27 for this shit. So that means that I've got 10 joints, 27 bucks, less than 10 bucks a gram. And I can go and like give these out with impunity so that yes. you can have some and I can have some, and we can have the experience of sharing a joint without actually having to share a joint. Andy, you, know? you can be the candy man. It's just like you just handed out like Dude, four- you nailed it. Yes. It's the best, it's the best feeling ever. When the you're thing. the joint guy who can just oh. hand out joints. Like, yes. how good is that? You're the weed fairy. Oh, now now you're such the weed fairy because you're like pulling out a joint. You're like, I'm going to smoke a joint. And everyone's like, for a second, they're like, oh, oh, we can't have any because it's the dark times. And you're like, oh, no, no. Oh, contraire. Mon ami. Joints Boom. for everybody. And you just, Boom. in one flourish, five of them go in the air and land in everyone's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful a, image. A it's green a cheetah image. bursts through the wall and he says, get smoking. Yeah. Blaze up. That's what we really want. That's what we really want. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to to kind of gift weed around and pre-rolls have made that super easy. So, but, um, but also I'm rolling just a lot of my own joints. I've actually really, COVID has allowed me to really perfect my joint rolling because again, it's just my preferred method of consumption these days just mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm inside and whatever it is. Um, I yeah, COVID has has provided some benefit to me in the in the rolling section of my life. 
I think. Hey, how's this uh, critical orange punch hitting you? Obviously, we've sort of hunkered into a similar vibe. Our our vibrations have aligned. I've got that cush feeling, but it has not made me feel in the least bit dopey. It has brought me to a tenable level of uh, focus and energy because I had a bumpy day, buddy. I was haggling yeah. over cars and uh, oh, no. playing a chiropractor. I got to do this move on my girlfriend that I've never tried before. I'd like to tell you about it right now. It's called the intercostal hook. And it's a diagnosis procedure to rule out and confirm certain back pain issues. Um, she had severe back pain the night, woke up screaming. I'm, we're panicking. Everything's panicking. And I'm like, I wonder, oh, no. uh, do, you, do you have an, uh, an aortic thrombosis? Or are we talking about some combination infection between uh, the kidney, kidneys and the gallbladder? Uh, you know, we're checking blood pressure, checking temperature, heart rate. And I get to the last thing, and she'd been working out the day before. And she's like, I tweaked my back a little bit, but was not screaming pain at the time. And so this thing, the intercostal hook, is when you hook your fingers under the lower floating ribs on the side you're diagnosed. and just uh, give them a gentle sort of movement up and down. You're feeling for a crack, a a separation, if you can uh, find the elastin cartilage tissue that connects it to the floating area of the spine. But you're just checking for that. When I did that, she shrieked in such a way uh, that the cats woke up and ran in every direction. You know what I mean? Uh, I can only imagine the neighbors. Luckily, she's on the men now. We've actually got her on the orange punch, the critical orange punch. And that seems to set her... Uh, at ease Um, set her free i'll tell you man the muscle relaxants in the danger time when her back was spasming that was golden but i think for back pain especially in this situation we just dovetailed her into like some microdosing amounts of this this particular strain and we had a couple because this is all from a medical grower we had a couple to pick from that have a lot of anti-inflammatory calming effects uh it's interesting and i'm going to segue into a topic that's somewhere else in, in in our show notes but it's just such a perfect time so if you want to stay cool in the summer andy i think you know this uh, marijuana is actually an excellent uh thermogenic compound for you chemically I did um, not know that. Yeah. I actually didn't wh- know that. What? What does that mean? The, it's one of the reasons why it's so prevalent, we think, culturally in places like uh, India and Pakistan and, and Turkey in, in the form of hash. It, it has this mechanism, and I actually have it here because I think it's interesting enough for me to mention by name, that triggers your body temperature to drop a couple degrees. And actually, at the same time, it also slows your heartbeat slightly in many cases, drops you down a little bit. Now, the reverse of that is in some cases, the same mechanism can make you jump all the way to an extremely fast heart rate. By the way, even though Dan is sounds like a doctor, Dan is not a doctor. And so if you're listening to Dan talk about things in relation to your body and your wellness, talk to a real doctor. So, Andy, I prefer to describe myself as a medical enthusiast. There you go. So the the mechanism is the T. That's how biker gangs got away with being motorcycle enthusiasts. I'm, I'm gonna have to come in defense of biker gangs, as you so they're motorcycle clubs, sir. MCs, baby. Hey, please continue on your medical scholars thrombo- and gentlemen on your medical thrombosis. <laughs> You would like to continue on my medical thrombosis. So just in the same way that hot drinks can cool you down, uh, the hot tea or whatever beverage activates special receptors on your tongue that detect heat. These are the TRPV1 receptors that communicate with the rest of your body and activate a cooling response from the inside out. This is similar to the same compound that's in uh, spicy foods, chili peppers. They activate oh, the like same- Oh, like capis, capis, capis yeah, like, I, I always say capus casing, like we're going I always skiing. say capus casing any, also. 
We're going to have some place. very, uh, very refreshing beers, which I could go for right now. But uh, so anyway, this is I why. I go for a Klondike bar. <laughs> so for this reason, like hot <laughs> drinks in tropical climates have gone with spicy foods and in many places, cannabis uh, imbibement. And so this this reaction with this receptor in your tongue uh, directly stimulates your hypothalamus that regulates your body temperature. And you do it similarly with very cold water, which will actually make you hotter because your body detects all this cold water and your hypothalamus says, hey dog, y'all, y'all about to get real cold. So we're gonna mm. light up this piece. Nice. Interesting. So so it helps control your body temperature down. Yes. Cool. Um, I gotta, as a medical enthusiast, uh, because we mentioned hot drinks, try to keep them under 149 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we're finding out that it, it, uh, temperatures above that cause esophageal cancer, um, as well as if you're using mouthwash that has al- actual actual alcohol content in it daily, the same same effect. And this there, there, is quite fascinating. There's a knock-on uh, element here that I have to talk to that connects to this whole concept. Is similarly the the brain also uh, encounters THC delta nine, which is the primary uh, agree- ingredient, active ingredient, I guess you call, um, in in weed. It actually acts as a kind of antioxidant for your brain, and specifically, they've noticed it reduces MDMA toxicity. Um, specifically, in mice is where all these studies were done because you can't give humans MDMA toxicity. Sure. Along with a lot of the other, and they're they're classified the 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 classically hallucinogenic drug all those classes of drugs use the same chemical or similar chemical mechanisms to kind of clear the brain out of uh, of harmful what are described as free radicals the opposite of you know what would be removed from an antioxidant oxygenation process like uh, when you talk about oxidants that is a a molecule that has been oxidized and become a free radical uh, damaging to the cells and tissues around it. That's pretty problematic. I just, I had to go all the way deep into it, but TLDR guys, if you're feeling a little bit uh, schwetty, just get get under that green. Have some schwed. Have some schwed and you'll peep and smeek it. (laughs) You peep. (laughs) Shrek a smeek of me peep. Oh, we just went from Dr. Oz to Sesame Street in about 13 <laughs> seconds. Um, Dan, I want you to, to brace for, brace yourself for a second. I've braced. I've girded my loins. Mortal Kombat! Yeah, I mean, Mortal Kombat. Raiden. John As if Cage. there's a new movie. Liu Kang. Liu Kang. Sonya. Oh, Sonya. My God. So we're talking the original Mortal Kombat movie. This was a 90s movie. Uh, it was from... Give it to Get me. over here. Yeah, that's right. Do you know who almost played Sonny, Sonya Blade in that movie? Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah, hit it. Uh, hit it hit Goldie it. Hawn. Too old. Mm. Respect. Uh, respect to Goldie. Respect to Goldie. Uh, Kate Hudson. Uh, that's a nice lateral movement, and I'm starting to get <laughs> what your preference is. Now, remember, this person's going to be expected to learn karate or uh, some kind of martial Robin Williams. Nailed it. Got it in three. Let me, let me give it to you. Contemporary you. on the come up. He played up. a genie, Dan. I just want... Let it be known. <laughs> he played a genie. He played your grandmother. Your specific one. It was That's a drive-by fruiting. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, I missed Matchmaker. Matchmaker. Yeah. Oh, what Pierce Brosnan was an absolute gem. To look at this movie about Robin Williams cross-dressing as an elderly mother, uh, grandmother, to nanny 
for his children that he's not supposed to see, uh, the nice mix of that 90s problematic heartwarming. And Pierce Brosnan, look at that, read the script. He's the jerk new guy for most of the movie. He gets a little redemption in the end. And he said, yeah, I'm doing 100%. this. 100%. Now, God bless him. Robin, Robin can do this. God bless him. My favorite scene is when Robin Williams is on the bus and his pantyhose has come down because he just doesn't care. He's had a long day with the yeah, kids. He's made a lot been of tough. dinner. And yeah. the bus driver, the older bus driver's like <laughs> eyeing him up. He's like, oh, I like a natural woman. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's such an honest to God like moment of, of uh, I mean, actually, now that I think about it, it's pretty pervy. Bus drivers should not be eyeing up strange women on the bus right? at night. That's the, very The nice mixture of something problematic, the 80s and 90s films. Like, That's it, Funny, That's problematic. It. You're like an innocent old guy preying on women at night. Not so yes, cool. That's right. Where they're a captive. In a position of authority. <laughs> that's, that's, I will crash this bus. <laughs> that's got sinister in a second. It got really, really sinister. But coming all the way back to Mortal Kombat, Andy, the Mortal actress Kombat. in question on the come up. Oh, hold on. She's in the mask. I had, nope. it, I had it before. Jim Carrey. N- not Jim Carrey. Cameron Diaz. Pa-pow. I see. I see. So Cameron Diaz was supposed to be uh, Sonya Blade, but she injured her foot. And they got the actress from Billy Madison to fill in to be Sonya Blade, and she kills it. I see. Yes. Yeah, Sonya. I, I see. What are you? Andy, have we <laughs> both t- hit space? <laughs> have we hit? Has, the, has the blast doors open and we're floating into space? We're talking about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> God, bud. God, bud has taken hold. I'm feeling very relaxed. I, I just want you to tell me about Mortal Kombat. That's all I want here. You tell me. What's going on in this new movie? What's so going on in this new movie? We're not talking new movie. That's not the headline. The first headline is... Mortal Kombat, the first movie, remains to this day the best uh, video game adaptation film that's ever been made. I think that is an unarguable fact. It was a movie that was made with very B-movie budgets, and somehow... Who's the, who's the your soul is mine guy? That's Shang Tsung. Oh, Shang Tsung, yeah. Played by this leg- legit martial artist actor um, who's done yeah. many other things, but when he favorite launches Mor- that... Kombat, when he launches favorite- that... Your soul is mine. It's perfect. It's Dastardly. poetry. Dickens favorite Mortal Kombat character. Favorite in what way? Like your favorite, your personal favorite. The like one if I play Mortal Kombat right now. I'd you have would play to that go, person. I would have to go. First love Scorpion, second love Raiden. Today, mm. I think I got to be a, a, in the Sub Zero camp. Yeah, it's got to be Sub Zero for me. It's got to be Sub Zero or. Smoke. Smoke. Yeah, one of the many alternates. What do you like about Smoke? Uh, just that he's impossible to defeat in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it's a Kombat rarity. Too. This is a real yeah. free market answer from you. It- genuinely, genuinely, I hated all the cyborgs. I thought they were terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's either Sub Zero. Also, shout out to Jax. Because shout out to big, Jax. Those big silver arms are badass. That's, that's a fact. That is an absolute fact. Did you know that. Um, of Jean-Claude Van Damme turned down the role as Johnny Cage because oh. he was going to be in the Street Fighter movie. I did not know that. Pick the bad Street pick. Fighter movie, wrong, wrong choice. Wrong choice for sure. Yeah, more, so when is the new Mortal Kombat movie coming out? 2021. I All I know about it is they've announced it, and it's one of those things where you hold your breath and just hope that it's good because they've tried to do the Mortal Kombat thing. I think they have like three sequels there's like armageddon and another one and they are i would say 
uh, pale comparisons. They might try to do a little bit more, but still that B, that B movie budget. The problem is, is like the intrigue of Mortal Mortal Kombat is where they need to go, right? It's about right. the tournament. It should be about the politics between the characters and the ultimate goal of aspiring to the tournament. Maybe there's some arriving at the tournament. Maybe there's some tournament hijinks. You can't take Mortal Kombat and turn it into a like a superhero movie, you know? And I feel like that's the most dangerous direction for it to go is like... How do we present a large problem for the Mortal Kombat community to take on? You know, and that would be really crap, in my opinion. It's gonna be hard because that's where like the 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 motion of the ocean is. It's these on you have this built in ensemble cast. Um, the superhero format movie has been working. Um, you know, origin stories that we've seen the audiences don't want to see that as much. So um, they tried one with uh, a series of Street Fighter movies, and the first one was Chung Lee. I saw it; it was pretty good. One of the guys from Bla- the Black Eyed Peas was one of the bad guys. He's like one of Ve- he was Vega or something, which is just hilarious. Um, but that, it was a commercial flop, so I think they're gonna go ensemble. If they're smart, maybe they'll they'll follow one character for Act One, like Liu Kang in this film. You're kind of with Liu Kang with the B characters bringing up with their own short little vignette stories. How do you, who do you think you would follow? Like who, who do you do the origin story in as their access into it? So with Mortal Kombat, first and foremost, I really liked how they did Doctor Strange. You know, Doctor Strange as a superhero movie was a really great example of someone who's coming into extraordinary circumstances and just discovering them, right? And I think discovering the Mortal Kombat tournament would probably be the interesting, you know, complete story arc, especially if you're doing like a Mortal Kombat you know, for this generation movie, it's the, the Mortal Kombat one, you know what I mean? And, um, I think that, you know, you got to go with like, got to offend yeah, your, your dojo. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. You got to go. We got to go with like a re I, I honestly, I honestly don't think you even take any of these. I don't think you do an origin story. You know, I think you go with a totally different character or else you go with a character that to the, uh, up until like two-thirds of the way through the film, you you don't recognize what character they are until they, like, slip into the role. You know what I mean? And it becomes an origin story, but it's just, a, you know, a, a more, a greater vignette of, like, the overall world. You just, you can't do, like, Sub-Zero. You can't do, like, Scorpion, because those guys have got to be just weird. They're, like, a you, great weird backdrop. You're you're so right about uh, Doctor Strange, because by that time, Marvel had honed the, the origin story into this art they had done so many origin stories that they're able to take this relatively unknown character dr strange get him all the way in to magic school up in the tibetan mountains uh, as benedict cumberbatch as no benedict cumberbatch and uh what is it Anne Heche. they just they they cut all the 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 extra stuff out tilda swinton just punches him into his astral form the first time they meet like, how is he going to discover this mystical, boom, astral form? So the writer's like, let's just get it done. But you need that character that introduces you to this fantastic world with a little bit of grounding. That's why it was Liu Kang before. You know what I mean? And they use the Ra- Raiden character, uh, uh, pa- uh, Peter, uh, Patrick Lambert? Christopher Lambert, uh, to be Raiden. He actually did the French dub over in uh, for the French version, because he also speaks French, they they hand it off to Raiden, and things just get slowly and slowly more fantastic, and they let the it hit the audience slow. That's so it. Do you man. think the Mortal 
yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the move, Go right? Ahead. It's the it's the yes. making it more and more fantastic. Because you look at Mortal Kombat, and part of it is not just that it's a fighting thing. Like what was that fighting movie? Something Blood Bloodsport. Uh, Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah. Bloodsport. That fighting movie from the from the nineties. Bloodsport, which was awesome. This isn't Bloodsport, right? This is Bloodsport plus fantasy. You got like Shiva with like six arms and shit. You've got Sub Zeros and and the and the the scorpions of the world. You've got just generally fantastical fighters, right? And I yeah. think you know simultaneously doing those characters justice with amazing modern costuming and CGI, and at the same time creating enough intrigue around it that like you're introducing these fantastical elements as they come along from a person who goes from being a blood sport style fighter to a Mortal Kombat participant. You could have a hell of right. a movie there, Dan. I feel like we should make it. <laughs> It. I think we are ill-equipped. Uh, Mortal Kombat, <laughs> the first one, you makes these bets in a really big way, and like so they could use their money in set pieces to get both these things accomplished at the same time. You see this one normal fight between Kano and Sonya. It's like a normal. He's kind of got a cyborg face, so you're like, oh, a cyborg face. That's new. And uh, then Johnny Cage like runs into Goro. He sees his like shadow in a castle and follows him. That's a fight. A really excited, literal cliffhanger. And he bests and kills Goro. So uh, cannon for MK. Uh, uh, Johnny Cage kills Goro. Then you got Liu Kang accidentally wanders in to uh, see Reptile. He's saved by Katana. Uh, and then later, uh, Johnny Cage runs into Scorpion. So they get these meetings with the fantastic done in these just awesome backdrops and sometimes they hand wave it so hard like the scorpion fight johnny cage is just in the woods and in these woods that are they're like row planted like high pines so you could just see the trunks and then it's he spots scorpion through several lines of trees and then he you know does a turn to the side and he's gone and then the camera angle changes and they have this great setup for like a a martial arts showdown and i guess the only context to it is that's his fight in mortal Kombat. so they they use the rule of cool and told the story with pictures rather than like pounds and pounds of exposition through secondary characters. And it did a great job of that. Nice. Like they just weaved that B, B movie and put the right special effects in the right place. When Scorpion pulls his mask off and he's, he's got a skull hand under, underneath there, you believe it. They put the dollars in the right That's place. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, you know, I, by the way, I need to watch this movie again. <laughs> this is it's time. It's time and it's due. I hope Mortal Kombat does uh does it justice, the new version in 2021. Um so we just about got to land this spaceship here, Dan. How about uh how about those PS5 and Xbox leaks? What's what's the deal? They're coming out in November. We got a rumor and like full disclosure, yeah, this industry insider, uh I forget his name, has has been slightly wrong before so you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt but we've got some dates slightly wrong or partially right both at the same time uh we got some dates for the xbox series x uh, at november 6th and that's like the grand launch and they're actually selling some of the series s the digital version on the fifth the digital only version that's i take a personal offense to Yes, yes, they're putting their chips on the table the way you want. They want you to Ugh, buy. Yuck! <laughs> right. I, I was just, I just before you go there, I was mm-hmm. thinking about how this lack of a physical media is actually going to impact, like the way that video game art is shared. Think about it. Like the cover art for a box is such an important element of a, a video game, and 
it makes sense right now when you have digital only releases, whether they be indie games or what have you, that you see the box art on you know PlayStation Network, whatever it is, and it makes sense in context with the other box arts. But do you continue sticking to that format if everything's just digital? Or is there another way that video games are represented? Like what happens to video game box art long term? You know? They put they put digital box art usually somewhere and you can go look at it so it exists somewhere. But that's because physical exists today. It's not I don't I don't think it is. I think there's the medium will continue to do that because they're already telling us to not give a shit about box art when they they started taking the book out which always featured a bunch of art right mm. almost no games you get have an interior book interior book where you're really going to represent you know some of the different media choices you've made you know Hideo Kojima has done some you know wonderful stuff with that but that's all getting relegated to these the higher dollar the platinum level the ultimate pack you know where you're getting a metal case and you're getting the book art they're already kind of telling you that that's a premium and I think the the sad truth is the more digital we go the less storefront we're going to have and that that really is one of the core marketplaces for games to the, the re-entry of games into the economy, you know what I mean? Letting people enjoy titles on a second, uh, second way through and old consoles. Uh, you know, I know for the collectors out there, I think for the most part, they, they want them to stay in place, right? Because they're, you can find certain gems. Obviously, there'll always be the flea markets and the true collectors, and there'll always be that deeper economy. But the store is like a, is a touchstone for gaming, I think. Yeah, not collecting physical medium would really bum me out. And like, you know... I- I got to be honest at the same time, I'm also open because the only thing stopping and it, it, I just kind of had a moment right now where I realized that I am actually fine with moving on into the digital only space because there's no reason not to right now other than the yep. fact that yes, of course, if anything were to happen to your machine or the servers go down, you won't have those games anymore. I understand that argument and I totally agree with it. But by the same token, like we're at a point where everything is so cataloged and you can play on whatever the Switch or PlayStation, you can play PS1 classics, you can play, you know, Super Nintendo classics, you can play Nintendo 64 classics and they've been remastered and re-released. Like we've not lost a game yet, so to speak, right? At least one with, mm. with any sort of mass appeal you know yeah and so it's like okay well all those things considered if we move into a world of digital only maybe that actually sets us up for a world where yes it's true stores like eb games for example or gamestop have been just trying to turn themselves into toy and game retailers right like you go in desperation well, yeah you go in there it's not even about the video games anymore now it's you know the pikachu toys and the board games and the mugs and whatever the games are the crunchy outside of the m&m and the the swag is the rich cream and i hope they succeed because i'm not you know down with any more retail going away but it is what it is um that being said though like maybe it makes room for just a new innovation in in you know, reveling in the culture of video games. For example, we've already got a world where MMORPGs, for example, have enormous subcultures with, you know, whatever, art books and soundtracks and games and maps and guides and all sorts of things that can be purchased with the game. Maybe instead of those kind of like primary elemental things, you know, that you can buy if you're a fan of World of Warcraft or whatever it is, for new video games coming out or new MMOs or new IPs, maybe, you know, in the absence of just creating those things, they create some other sort of physical, retailable, you know, brick and mortar or Amazon item or items that, you know, help you further enjoy that 
you know, IP that help you further enjoy that game. I have no idea what that could be, but I'm just open to the possibility that when physical mediums go away, there might be something even more interesting and compelling on the other side to gain an edge in a digital world where your probability of being purchased is directly tied to how close to the top of PS, you know, the PS store your game is appearing, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I like to play this thing from both sides because I'll I'll kind of uh, bitch about uh, digital copies. But today, when I had to pop in the disc for Street Fighter Five, I was like, "What is this?" Right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm playing Origins that I got on a sale, and you. That's one of the nice things you're seeing those sales to to that you would you would associate with a storefront where some like an older game goes for a cheaper price you know you get a, a digital edition and when i'm ready to play it i just click the button and it just it flies totally and and you know so there's a lot of reasons why it's better but then you also look at like okay well how do we sell how do what does video game culture look like today take a look at like instagram or reddit you know it's all about again the physical media the box art so what's going to happen right. in the future if you're like, you know, an Instagram or just like the Purple Dungeon Squid Instagram channel, but, you know, the video game community at large and your whole Instagram concept or your whole media concept is sharing in the box art, you know, sharing in the physical copy, sharing in the the, the controller shot and like, you know, the new games I just picked up. It's just going to be interesting to see like what that shifts to when people are no longer showing off boxes. Now it's what? You're not going to take a photo of your TV. So like, where does that art yeah. come from? You know? You're right. And there is a beautiful celebration that's come from that. Like, if you're not plugged into the retro game collection community, um, take a look down there. Like, uh, check out uh, Bo's Games Room. Yeah. Um, I think there's an underscore in there or something. He's got some great stuff. And it's a mixture of, like, collections and what he's playing. And, and you see that that celebration. Those guys are horse trading games all over the place. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, watching, you know, these claim sales happen on Instagram where guys put up lots and people bid on them. Watching, like, the swapping community and the all of these designations for, you know, mint in box and complete in box CIB. Like, it's, it's a fascinating subculture. And I think that that'll persist for a very long time, of course, because it's a collector hobby, right? But the mainstream, of course, will be very different because you've got, yeah, the retro game collecting guys. But then you've got, you know, the whole generation of Twitch streamers and, you know, video game unboxers and reviewers and, you know, enthusiasts and whatever that it's just like, what does that all look like without physical media? Yeah, fact. Uh, bringing it back to this uh, leak. <laughs> so I think we left it at uh, Xbox Series X, November 6th, the f week following uh, PlayStation 5 and the digital edition are said to be or rumored to be in the week after November 13th. And getting down to the turkey, Andy, the real nuts and bolts, the PS5 is looking at $499 US, USD. The digital only is 100 bucks less, $399. The Xbox Series X, which is comparable to the PS5, is at $499 as well. They've dropped their digital only $200. They're selling that for $299. Oh, USD. That's a nice advantage. So let me ask you first. Are you going PlayStation or Xbox on this one? I'm going to stay with PlayStation just because I have the library of games. I find the familiarity of the controller is, is, is still a thing. You know what I mean? I was trying to play Mortal Kombat on Xbox last night or last week, and I got my my ass handed to me. Fair point. Slight aside, my sweet sweet lady beat everyone at Mortal Kombat. Nice. Some people twice. Nice. Jaws on the floor. What was her uh, um, character of choice? 
she was playing the Xenomorph. Oh, I don't know the Xenomorph. Oh, so to going back to Mortal Kombat for a second, this is the thing. Mortal Kombat is now a cross-universe, cross-brand platform. You know, the latest Mortal Kombat guy, you got Xenomorph, you got Predator, oh. you got Terminator, you got Ninja Turtles, you have Jason Voorhees. Earlier editions had had uh, all the Marvel super or the DC superheroes, but um, you know I'm pretty sure Harley Quinn is in this edition. Like they have external universe characters, it's easy to do it because it's a whole it's a whole uh, genre, a whole game, a whole story about universe jumping. Sure. So who knows is going to show up in the Mortal Kombat universe? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll take some RoboCop. I'm all right with it. Judge Dredd. Judge Double Dredd. Whammy. It's worth it if you want to like waste 30 minutes. Watch every single of one character you like's fighting line because he has a unique piece of dialogue or four for every particular combatant you can go up against. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend I recommend. Terminator. So you were saying, though, PS5 is, is the way you're leaning. I'm leaning PS5. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, additionally, because like my, my PlayStation is, all, is also my Blu-ray player, mm. right? And that's why I went that way. Don't forget Anyways, those physical mediums are soon to be irrelevant. So the the price drop to the Xbox Series X or S, the digital only, doesn't doesn't entice me, even though it's two hundred dollars cheaper. And if I didn't care about that, I might lean further that way. It's quite a it's half as much. Yeah, half. I mean, you know, some of the things that I will say about Xbox is around the time of the three six. So I've I, I was a original PlayStation followed by an Xbox. Uh, sorry, a, a PS2 guy. And then while I had PlayStation 2, I then moved over to Xbox and then back to PS3 and then to Xbox right. 360 and then finally to PS4, right? So I've literally ping-ponged mm-hmm. every generation. And I, I think I've enjoyed more overall experience with PlayStation, but there are several mm-hmm. titles on Xbox that just can't be replaced. Like, for example, my favorite RPG of all time, which is Mass Effect. Uh, as well, although I know, I, I believe it's available on PS3 at this point, but regardless, uh, let's talk Halo. Let's I was literally, that's where there. I was going. Halo, you know, and Halo for me, like was the ultimate summation of like transcendence 2000 transcendence. to 2010 was Halo, you know? And yep. I don't know what this new, whatever delayed launch title looks like for Xbox, I also like the fact that Xbox is tied in more with the Microsoft game side of things. So I imagine we'll see, you know, some more synchronicities between what's coming out, um, you know, for Windows, games for Windows as opposed to Xbox. So I'm just like, I'm feeling like Xbox maybe has a more interesting horse, you know, to ride for the next generation. It's never been more compelling. Their UI used to be garbage. It's steadily gotten better on that. They're talking backwards, frontwards compatibility. You're talking about the cross-play stuff. You know, you got to wonder how many exclusive that were previously exclusive PC games are going to come to your new beast. And if you bought a Series X, it probably runs it better than 50% of people's computers out there. That's kind of the thing, right? And it's like you're literally, and I don't know if this is the way it's going. I may be wrong. But you're a mouse and keyboard away from like, a borderline gaming PC, you know, and you're there. And if you, you're there, if you man. get there and we're at the point where we're downloading games for windows or whatever it's called. And like, I can now play a lot of the titles that I can't play on my work computer. Obviously I have a Mac and it's not for gaming. Right. 
I haven't been a PC gamer in a decade because I haven't had a PC gaming computer because I haven't needed one in a decade. If now my console can assume a little bit more of that identity, you know, I've got Nintendo for the, the, the strict console experience. I don't really need like something that's hardwired to my television and like the central media player for the home to be just a video game system. Like I'd like it to be something more, you know? Especially like now in the generation we're in, because at the beginning of the PS3, a lot of TVs that you might own aren't smart TVs. Right. And the fact that you could on your PS4, PS3, uh, you know, log into Netflix or stream this. from media player. Like, let's let's look at yeah. that. Like, buddy, yeah. I, I, I could put videos from my computer, plug them into my PS3 and suddenly they're on my my TV, my giant, totally. beautiful TV. Totally. So you're right. That connectivity, that connectiveness that. PlayStation had cornered the market on Xbox is turned in the corner too. I did own an Xbox and the reason why I bought it is so I could hack it, mod it and put a hundred thousand games on it. Mm -hmm. Most of which are old school or arcade games. So that kind of openness to a console, the, the, the more it lets you reach out into your, your, where your digital desires are. I think the more it's going to connect with. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, whatever the, I hear what you're saying there. That's, that's not a motivation at all for me. Um, but which isn't just the idea of like modding a, a game console. So modding that was explaining why I got an Xbox yeah, yeah, that's originally. That's like that's no longer the conversation, yeah. but I mean, set that aside and say, uh, there is a little bit of problem with the beautiful thing that is licensing and everything it lets us do. But when games go over a certain age, I think they become historical record and it, there should be, uh, I think that making an open platform for yourself to play a Nintendo game, uh, you know, that set of licenses is fair is fair play. Well, I mean, I think all of those are probably still in license, but it's neither here nor there. I, I, yeah, that, that's a that's a debate. For, you for you think day. you think what are in license? Well, you I mean, if you've got license. like a Super Mario Brothers from the NES, you know, still very much intellectual property under. Uh, anyway, it doesn't right, doesn't, but not by the super original the original content. Right, super it's, not, it's an aside, a- Andy. For for once. Accept something that you might feel is semi-problematic and just acknowledge it at the core of the point without hedging or maneuvering around the idea because you're scared some of that that foul water of hacking might get on you. Now it's on me. Well, I think, I, I've, I think, been I've, touched ex- I think by I've explained pirates. many times that I have no issue with like the IP side of that. I mean, it's not something I participate in, but by the same token, it's like I don't really care if anyone else does it. For me, it's like there's a thin wall. Between yes. the shininess of a yes. game and the gravity of its existence and it's come out and it's this perfect digital package that the second it, it's like a, you know, pirated piece of data available on the internet for, you know, download and cracking to put on your computer. And not only that, but it's on a, a site or in an environment with hundreds of other games of the same caliber. It just becomes a different thing for me personally. You know, I like sure. the preserving so- the like ideology and the integrity behind like a video game. It's a weird quirk that I have, but it's important to my enjoyment of the of the medium. Andy, do do you want to hear my my white hat pirate rules? Number one, if I've owned it in the past, I still own it. Totally okay to pirate. And that doesn't include remasters or redux, extra sure. content. The original release version, if you purchased it, that's yours forever. The disc got broken, you've lost it, you still own the idea of that game, number one. If it's more than 20 years old, it's it's open season. Okay, I feel I feel okay. you. I mean, like you know. That's, so I, I don't list? I don't disagree with you on that point. That point right. specifically. But 
Right. Yeah. But I oh, think so Nintendo, like the digital who is like selling, mm-hmm. you know, yes. Super Nintendo Legend of Zelda, probably would take umbrage with that statement. Yeah. You know, I think you run into a problem uh, when it's available for purchase still. But Nintendo gets its rocks off selling us the same games over and over and over and over. Uh, it's because we and buy over them, Dan, don't we? <laughs> it's because we buy them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you've you've made you've made me forget my my third rule, I'm which horrible. was the punchline rule. And you just because you couldn't, you were too scared of getting some of it on. You had to pick and choose from my list which ones you agreed with. <laughs> Better make all those points the best ones. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's no third. I can't think of it. We could make up a funny one right now. Uh, Andy, there's so many versions of Street Fighter. There's like, when I had my Xbox, I had like 150 versions of Street Fighter because of the tournament scene and modder scene that got into Street Fighter really, really early because they wanted the fighters just to move a little bit faster before they released Street Fighter tournaments. So these guys hacked arcade ROMs to make the characters run at double speed. Yeah. So you would find these cabinets cloistered away in certain locations that you'd start playing Street Fighter. You're like, why is it double fast? Oh. And it was like this super early sort of bizarre mystery, at least to my mind. But you look at the list of the ROMs, there's hundreds of them with different variables tweaked, triple fast, you know, faster fireballs, slower fireballs. 1.65 extra damage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, palette swaps, just like finally tuning in that experience. It's really cool, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, and then it, you let that burble over for 20 years and all of a sudden you've got salty bet, <laughs> which is, you have what salty bet salty bet is an online AI controlled fighting simulator that's built on Mugen and Mugen is an open source fighting, um, engine, right? So basically right. you can take, so Mugen is famous for, because it's open source, most of the the, the the iterations of games that have been made on it or fighting, you know, uh, um, uh, compilations that have been put together on Mugen are like really janky, right? You got guys who like hack together whatever Bob Saget and the flying spaghetti monster don't an- don't animate everything, you know, and create ultra powerful characters with no and low effort. And you've got this this abomination of a fighting game that you're watching. Salty Bet takes it a step further. They inject, they basically put it on like AI mode, right? And they tell you at the beginning of the fight who's going to be fighting. Everybody bets with imaginary currency, and then you watch these two computer-controlled characters beat the snot out of each other in in hilariously bad ways. So, you know, you'll be watching it, and I remember the first time that I got into Salty Bet, I was really stoned, right? I had just consumed, I don't know, um really dank indica. I was at there's like two houses ago. I was sitting on my couch. I was all by myself for like the next four hours. And I, I put on Salty Bet for two seconds because I clicked into it from Kotaku, I think. And I watched I watched Salty Bet for so long, Dan. It was like three hours <laughs> of straight Salty Bet. And like at first you're like, this is really dumb. And then you get into it. You're like, yeah, why shouldn't we see a giant Toro Toro fight, you know, uh, Cthulhu, and then the next match, it's Kid Boo. Like, of course we want to see that. And eventually, if you can get past the internet chat room that's attached to it, which is sure. everything that you, that I hate and you hate, it's, it's <laughs> just a really compelling and wholesome experience. Just turn off the chat, though. 
Yeah, just just minimize that. Now, I got to make something clear. Are these AIs really good? No. Or they're really no, bad? No, no, extra bad. You know, you're watching just just like the most rote two computer minds in the most outlandishly, horribly animated skins with broken mechanics all over the place trying to defeat one another in some sort of loophole battle of the ages. And it's amazing. So you're trying to watch two simpletons like hump a doorknob. Like, 100%. Like... <laughs> no, it's funny. On the front of it, I'm like, this would be really cool if they were super advanced AI, like a, like an AlphaGo, AlphaGo Zero. Like they just do perfect moves. They're double canceling, you know. Or is it funnier or better in the long run that they're just like lobotomized? That's it. They're basically lobotomized. So is it like is it like watching two sedated chimps fight, or is it like watching two people fumble around in the dark this, trying the to second, find the each other? The second one. The second one. Mm, th- you might have to miss me with that. No, shit. No, no, it's excellent. Um, okay. Salty bet. Go check it out. Oh right. my goodness. Well, Dan, I think we've got to go ahead and put a pin in this bad boy. Um, listener questions or games you want to play purpledungeonsquid.com no it's not it's purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com hit us up yes sir and if you know where to find us recommend us to a friend or don't make sure you follow us on instagram at purpledungeonsquid until next time please my friends keep it dank fuck i am high